still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you And he won the pony too Thank you, fuck you, bye 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 Hello again, friends! And you are our friends And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's drive through Right here on another day I think fall's about to hit Depends on when you're listening to this show Fall may have hit And we'll find out what you're going to be hit with. Boy, it's loud on the other side. I don't know if anyone can hear this because of the fine editing we do here, but I'm your host, the great Brian Last, and we have questions, and I don't think we have too many reviews or anything, but we have questions, and lots of questions, and fun, and lots of fun, and maybe a song or two. (laughs) With this man, the star of the drive-thru, Mr. Jim Cornette. You're fucking falling apart. You don't know whether to wind your ass or scratch your watch. Brian, you didn't even know what day it was before oh. we went on the air here. You were you were convinced it was the previous day, which it is no longer that day. It is now a new day here on the program, and you've completely forgotten how to even do an open. It's we we've been delayed here because of various personal situations and trying to and and, and also your your generator has not been uh installed yet there at the new last manor the new improved last manor so you got to sit up till what four o'clock in the morning night four last to listening to the hum of all your neighbors generators humming in the night humming in the night and now exchanging electricity and now you don't even know what season it is, much less what day it is. I'll have you know. What day is it? Hold on, what day did you say it was before we recorded? I said, do you want to tell people how long that we milked them and made them wait for this show that we're finally recording it now? That's not what you said. You thought it was Sunday. No, no. And then I said, it's Tuesday. No, I didn't say it was Sunday. You just blurted out that it was Tuesday. I said that was yesterday. But you said the wrong day first. If it wasn't Sunday, you said someday that was wrong. And then I followed it with the wrong day. You started the trend. I've, I've I've known what day this is since I got up this morning because it's a red letter day. It is the last day of summer. Tomorrow, Thursday, is the first day of fall. Nobody on the road, nobody on the beach. I feel it in the air. The summer's out of reach. Empty lake, empty. Nevertheless, you like Henley's solo stuff? Yes, actually, The Boys of Summer has a very, very nostalgic and wistful groove to it. That's his greatest solo song by far. That that is that is that's that's the one. But nothing tops. I can't tell you why by Timothy B. Schmidt. 
That's all. Oh, him, get the baby. fuck out of here. That's all. First him. of all, if you're if you're really an Eagles and fan, I can't tell you why. No, baby. What? Why do you consider Timothy B. Schmidt to be an important part of the Eagles? If the guy joined for the last album, the guy was only there for the last album of the original run of the various members. Of, well, actually, they weren't even the original Eagles by that point because they had added people and people had left. Joe Walsh wasn't there at the beginning. But of all the people, Timothy B. Schmidt is the one whose stuff you're going to herald? You know why? Because he's the nicest guy. He's always got a smile on his face. He's got that pure, clean voice. He's long. He's just an old, nice hippie. Just friendly. Probably wants to save the planet. Didn't want to get into all the political... Bingo. Falderall Bingo. and mumbo-jumbo. Bingo. He, Henley and Glenn Fry had nothing to worry about with him. He wasn't going to speak up. He was happy to be there. I'll do whatever you say. And now he's in the and, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with them. And he still looks better than the rest of them. Felder looks pretty good. Well, but he didn't make it for the long run. See? See what I did there? He did, but they kicked him out. It wasn't his fault. He actually wanted what was due to him, but they decided just... On their own, we're going to dissolve our corporation and not pay you what you have earned, actually. And he said, no, yeah. I'm going to sue you. And then he won. Fingers got fingered. Well, he fingered them in the end. And now they don't want to ever see his fingers ever again. <laughs> <laughs> fingered them in the end. So anyway, getting back to the thing, it's summer. It's summer now, but it's going to be fall by the time they hear this. The people out there, the cult of Cornette. And you should herald the coming of the fall season. It's going to be 97 degrees with high humidity today in Louisville, Kentucky. And by Friday morning, it's going to be down in the mid-40s with a dew point of less than 50. So it's just fall is falling on us tomorrow. Just just like that. Who's the first promoter you know of to use fall brawl? Um, You know, actually, I think the Clash of Champions fall brawl was it. Uh, in the WCW days. See, remember the big shows did not get titles. They didn't get names or there was no WrestleMania or Starcade or whatever. I mean, there were some every once in a while. The, the Super Bowl of Wrestling in Cleveland in, what, 72? And, uh, you know, Parade of Champions had been used, my God, probably since the 40s or 50s. but. The uh, the the naming the big event as part of the marketing was a more modern thing that you know came in late seventies early eighties in the territories and and went from there. So a lot of those names hadn't been used and like they've now been done to death. Plus, the beginning of fall is probably a horrible time for the promoters. Back to school. Back to school. Uh, September, sep- May, and September were the worst, actually, I think April and September, were the worst months when I ran Smoky Mountain Wrestling. April, because the, especially if you if you hit your date in the middle of the month, tax time, uh, uh, what, daylight savings time, go spring forward, yes, yeah, boom. Weather's getting nice in East Tennessee. That was fucking horrible. And then September, back to school, and everybody's spinning. Of course, in the territories, the parents actually brought their children to the matches and blah, blah and brought the, their parents if they still lived in the house with them. So it was a big family expense when you were buying kids back to school shit. So anyway, nevertheless. So you weren't going to load up any cards in September? Oh, fuck no. 
No, nobody, almost nobody did because September was back to school. So you would do a back to school special, kids $2 or whatever the fuck. That's what you, to react to that. But see, do you remember September? If they'd only been four days ahead, Earth, Wind, and Fire, they would have written a song about my birthday. They went with September 21st, which I've never forgiven them for. Do you know what they're saying in that song? Does anybody? I, I thought if anyone did, you would. Actually. I, I know I know what the words are on the goddamn uh, uh, liner notes. I don't know what they mean. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out body ah body ah but anyway, did uh, Brian? Do you think the people want to know what's the matter with you? You're just laughing indiscriminately. I think it's, I, I think it's funny you singing that. I don't know. Body, say that you remember. That's another. Philip Bailey had the voice of an angel. You like Easy Lover? Him and Phil Collins? Um, it was very. It was. It was a a, a boppy tune, easy to dance to. You kind of get moving and grooving to that. You would dance to Easy Lover, really? Well, easy lover, you make a it's 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 a jaunty tune. That was the original theme for WrestleMania. And they were that's right. I when they did the biography, I remembered that the instrumental though. They didn't come in with Easy Lover. I don't. There may have been a no fucking rib played at that point. If they had. looking back now, it's probably funny that instead of the lyrics of Easy Lover, they had Vince McMahon, the Easy Lover himself, fucking doing hey! the voiceover. So anyway, going back to my birthday. <laughs> Do you think, Brian, that, that the people out there, the cult of Cornette, would like to know what I did on my actual birth, the day of my birth, my birthday? Got all dressed up in my birthday suit and everything. Do you think the people, because I'm a, I'm a man of some means, and I and I attained the age of sixty-one years of age, and and so I was, you know, a lot of people think, well, he could do pretty much. Anything he chooses to do for to celebrate his birthday. And that's what I did. I did exactly what I chose to do. Do you think the people would be interested in what that was, Brian Last? Oh, most certainly. I mean, let's not forget you're number 30 on the list of most famous people with a birthday of September 17th. I think people definitely want to hear what number 30 has to say yeah, about what he did. I, Thank you very much for bringing that up and reminding me, as a matter <laughs> of fact. But no, somebody said that that they're trying to vote for me or something to get me bumped up that list i don't know how the the uh prioritization was chosen but anyway i'll tell you exactly what i did on my birthday it was a saturday i got up early in the morning i got on my long sweatpants so that i wouldn't get ticks or bites from various insects and i got out the rake and my wheelbarrow and my work gloves and my clippers and i went around and i picked up tree limbs and sticks that had blown down from the last storm and I wheelbarrowed them to the brush pile and I weed killed some mulch beds and I carted some deer food down back under the poplar tree and fed the deer and listened to the birds chirp and the squirrels fuss with each other and it was very quiet and peaceful except for the birds chirping and the squirrels fussing and then we put the action figures on sale at jimcornette.com. More on that in a moment. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And then I read a little bit of a book that I was gifted for my birthday on my reclining couch. 
Have you noticed a theme here that I did not leave the property and I did not have any interaction with any outside humans except for Stacy and Harley, who I consider an honorary human. Harley, that is. <laughs> Stacy's actually, she's full-fledged. She's got the paperwork to prove it. And then we had my birthday dinner. I went to the store uh, last week, whenever it was, and got ribeye steaks that were about a pound and a half a piece they were two inches thick and got some of those big old sea scallops not the little bay scallops but the big old sea scallops big as your balls brian scallops as big as your balls that should be a a tagline a marketing strategy for some kind of seafood restaurant we've got scallops as big as your balls ladies and gentlemen and then we got some mashed potatoes and we got some mushrooms and spinach and borzen cheese. It's a very fancy cheese. And Stace concocts it where she sautés the mushrooms and the spinach together and then puts the borzen cheese on them to get me to eat the spinach. And it your tongue will slap your brains out. And had that for dinner along with... A big old piece of celebratory birthday cake because Brian Lad, here's another free plug for somebody in the Louisville area. There's a place down here called Nothing Bunt Cakes. And they have nothing but bunt cakes. Small ones, big ones, different kind of flavors, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but it's bunt cake. And they the cake, the cake is actually worth eating by itself without the icing. Because it's moist and thick and filled with goodness. But the icing is not just the standard buttercream. It's a cream cheese heavy, sugar-filled butter and eggs, you can tell, go into all this. And my God, I can only eat a double-sized piece of this cake. And now just a regular store-bought cake, just to the old regular variety that comes in one of those plastic tubs, I can sit down with a fork and just finish that if I wanted to. I refrain from it. But I can only eat a normal-sized piece of that. Well, maybe a double-sized. Normal for me. Two for anybody else because it's so rich and it's so good. And then we sat down and watched Svengoolie on Me TV, which was House of Dracula which Harley always loves it when when uh, the Wolfman is involved. You know, Lawrence Talbot, she she kind of looks like Larry every now and then. Conveniently, the name that Punk's dog is named after, the man that do Punk's dog is named after. I think Harley and Punk's dog may get together someday and form a wrestling dynasty. But anyway, so we watched Svengooley, although I'm not ashamed to admit that Svengooley's on 8 to 10 Eastern time, and it's not a, a, a knock on Svengoolie's entertainment value, but I've seen House of Dracula a time or seven, and I knew how it wound up, and I nodded off, I think, about 9.30. But that was that. And, and, and also, and Stace gifted me for my present. She's painted a picture of the legendary day that I debuted on Monday Night Raw, and it's me and Bobby Heenan with our arms around each other sweating profusely from that famous picture and uh and you know etc and that was my birthday present that i'm gonna put up here on the wall in my office and 
I went the entire day. I didn't even get off the property when I got the mail because my mailbox has a door in the front and a door in the back. So I didn't even have to go out in the street and go to the front of the mailbox. I just, I stayed in my yard and pulled it open from the back. And that was my happy. I did get a bunch of other birthday presents, but I'm not going to go into that. Stay tuned on the experience because I don't want to leave anybody out. And it's an ongoing fluid situation. Stuff's still coming in. So I do not want to uh, neglect anybody. So we're going to update the the gift, the parade of gifts uh, on the experience this week. But yes, so it was a wonderful day. And you may ask Brian last, you may ask yourself if you've not nodded off already. Well, how did that action figure on sale go? And I will tell you, folks, holy jumping shitballs. Thank you for your support. Um, that's uh, the one thing I did do was talk to Hotchkiss, but I don't consider him a member of the human race, but he got everything up and on target. And I'm trying to find my, I'm vamping till I find my notes because I had the, I talked to Hotchkiss yesterday to get the update and boy, howdy, it's not in front of me. So I'm going to go by, I'm going to go by memory and say that the uh the you know the bloody variant brian we had i think 1200 of those we put up in in april and those sold out in 36 hours that's still the record for figures which kind of worries me because it makes me think that people want to see me bloody bleeding gashed open and in tremendous pain there couldn't be any truth to that could there who am i to say thank you for that full-throated denial um but I will say that this, t so the bloody variant blew past the commentator playset last time, but this time it's a little bit more even of a race. We started with a, a less than 1,500 of each as of uh, yesterday, because that's when I thought we were recording. I talked to Hotchkiss with the update. We have less than 500 of the pink and red raw variants remaining and... I think it's a little over 750 of Santa Corny. So a, a little over half, I believe, of the total figures are gone, and they're more neck and neck this time than they were last time. So you've still got a chance to get in, ladies and gentlemen, at jimcornette.com. Uh, obviously, the pink and red raw debut variant commemorated and commemorized, whichever verbiage fits there uh in the painting that was given to me as a birthday gift by my lovely and talented wife stacy that comes complete with the glasses the microphone the tennis racket and can be signed to your specifications and as we mentioned there's less than 500 of them now so jump in quickly and santa corny ain't gonna make it to christmas at this rate and probably not thanksgiving out of halloween may be a stretch but there's somewhere 700 and something left of those, and they come complete with racket, glasses, microphone, and a jaunty Santa hat. To complete the ensemble, you can go to jimcornette.com at the front page and see pictures of these fine, fine quality toys on the front page, and we encourage your participation because Daddy needs a new pair of shoes. But it was all in all a, a wonderful, but you know, it was a better birthday than the times I've spent 
Like I think one year when we were working for Crockett, I was we were in somewhere Bessemer City, North Carolina, or whatever. I made one hundred and seventy five dollars on my birthday to take bumps for the new breed. I believe it was something like that. It was a better birthday than that, Brian. And I continue to baffle science. You sure do. I mean, it shows that maybe hatred and anger can propel someone deep into life. Hate is a hell of a motivator. Do you think the people who say that if you have hatred in your heart or if you're filled with this, you know, you'll die young because you're filling your life with it. Do they understand the people who thrive on that? <laughs> <laughs> it gives you it gives you motivation. It makes you want to put your shoes on and get up in the morning and go out and kick somebody's ass. Everybody gets motivated in their own way. Now Timothy B. Schmidt. Oh, come on. He wouldn't no, he wouldn't harbor ill will toward anybody in his heart for one second because he looks like the kind of guy that would be a young buck. gets all zen. No, that are you kidding? The Cucamonga kids, they've got all kinds of envy and jealousy and misery. Smiling faces, smiling faces sometimes. See, they got all that stuff. Well, after you sing, they're not the only ones with misery, but Jim. Jealousy, misery, envy. Oh, you can't see behind those smiling. Go ahead. This is your program, isn't it? You're getting way too into the singing every single uh-huh. week. Yeah, well, you know, I'm getting, getting a lot of compliments worse. on No, that. you're not. You're getting I'm a lot of people about- poking their ears out with ice picks. Every time I'm you sing. Po- poking their ears out? Poking their eardrums, excuse me. Wouldn't you be poking them in anyway? Well, you'd be poking it. If you're poking them in, instead, you can't be poking them. You'd have to be reaching up oh, is this to the poke your downhill? ears out. All right. You'd have to go in through your mouth and come, come out the side some kind of way and poke them out. So you'd be poking your ears in. Same thing with poking your eye. You'd be poking your eyes in unless you go up your nostrils and come out the other way. Listen, I'm not taking anything off the table. Go around your elbow to get to your wrist. That's a long way around. Well, speaking of the long way around, you just talked about the Young Bucks. Jim, in a related story to this whole Young Bucks CM Punk melee, fiasco, whatever you want to call this whole thing, and it's still up in the air, so much of it, there have been a lot of people, a lot of listeners of the show sending in photos. I'm going to assume you've seen some of them. Kenny Omega on his Japanese vacation stay. I'm not exactly (laughs) sure what it is. Appeared his on excursion. some excursion. His excursion. He appeared on a TV show, and a lot of people seem to notice what appeared to be a bite mark on the inside of his forearm. Have you seen any of these photos? Yes, I, I, I saw him at a table. It looked like he was signing autographs. Possibly he was on television, sitting at this table. I don't know, but I've seen that. And, and some people were kind enough on Twitter to do the the telestrator thing, where they circle it with a you know a colored circle so you can see it but yes he's got a bite on the inside of his left forearm a little about halfway in between the the crook of the elbow and the uh the meat of the inside of the arm which would obviously be the perfect place for somebody to bite you if you were in the process of trying to put a fucking rear choke on him so i don't see how he got bit by saving the dog. Wouldn't you need both arms to pick up a dog and carry it to safety from a burning building or a locker room brawl? The dog didn't bite him. 
At least Larry Talbot has not been accused of, of biting him. So how in the world did A. Steele manage to get his teeth right there inside Kenny Omega's forearm, I wonder? Unless Kenny Omega's forearm was being wrapped around his head at the time. Yeah, because the other argument, like you said, is innocent Kenny Omega <laughs> was holding this dog that isn't his, that I'm sure just loves strangers picking it up, that while all this is happening, and the Bucks are getting their ass kicked by CM Punk and Ace Steel, and Christopher Daniels is in the mix, and other people are in there trying to break this thing up, while all that's happening, Kenny Omega's innocently tiptoeing out of the room with the dog until Ace Steel runs over to him mouth first, apparently, <laughs> right into his arm and bites him. It's either that or Ace Steel was in the middle of the melee. Kenny Omega got either on top of him or behind him, got his arm around him. Hey, you do that to me, I'm going to bite you too. I got to be honest. Well, I, how do too. you know if, if the arm is coming from behind? How do you know whose arm it is to begin with in one of those scrums? Because I scrum, as they say, because scrimmages. I've been in that position in crowd activity where an arm comes around behind you and you don't know who the fucks it is. And one time, as Mayor Vibe told his story, it was a fucking cop. The cops didn't like us in Saginaw, Michigan when we jumped on the fucking mark that tackled Bobby. And so I was trying to take my tennis racket and swing over my head to get the cop that had me around the neck from behind. Because you can't tell it's an arm. So a lot of that shit happened very quickly. And but apparently Kenny's arm has the habit like Kenny does of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. We still haven't heard too much about the status of the suspensions of Omega, the Bucks, Ace Steel or CM Punk. The length of the suspension. If there is, in fact, a suspension, we, <laughs> I guess we've heard that at least that there are suspensions, yes. but we still don't know too much about this whole thing. Well, it. <laughs> It sounds like that they uh, they dropped the suspensions on people that could reasonably have been expected to have been there trying to break it up instead of getting involved in it. Um, you know, I was right. We shocked. did. Well, I'll just Go say ahead. we did see Pat Buck, Christopher Daniels, I think Brendan Cutler and Nakazawa were, were cleared. I believe. And I can, you know, I was surprised about Christopher Daniels. And Topher, and Topher backstage, I believe, was cleared. Who? It's someone you don't know, but he was involved. Okay, well, Topher, is he the guy that used to be on uh, the that 70s show? Whatever happened to him? I wondered if he got a new job. That was the worst show. But nevertheless, I was surprised about Christopher Daniels because he's a grown adult, and he is a talent relations you know, executive now that Tony put out all those promotions. And even if he is from California and friends with the Cucamonga Kids camp, I didn't expect him to, you know, be going into a, a locker room with mayhem in his heart. He's probably one of the people that was trying to at least observe, caution, calm down, whatever the fuck. So I can see that cutlet and knock it to fuck off. I mean, you know, they're probably just dim-witted stooges that were following their, you know, the the leaders of the Treehouse Boys Club. But um, I don't see how you can drop 
any of the EVP suspensions without dropping all of them. And I don't see how you can actually penalize a steel if you're not penalizing punk because steel was coming to punk and his wife's assistance. And actually steel may be the next innocent victim in all of this, but even before punk and the EVPs where he's going to get tied up with this investigation is you're going to have two different, you can have three different camps, three sides. It's punk side or the punk camp, the buck side and management. And the argument's going to be, or the question's going to be, was Ace Steel trying to break this up in his job as AEW producer or whatever it was, or was he escalating it? Was he getting involved? And I think that's where you're going to have different people arguing different things and it's going to get tricky. Well, but the problem is what, uh, what status does Ace Steel have that trumps his other status? Is it more important to him and is it more natural to a human being to go into a room where his friend is in a fight with a number of individuals and his wife is stuck while she's on crutches and start clearing some shit out? <laughs> See, that's the thing there. If he wasn't in the room when they busted in, and he turns around seconds later when there a commotion is heard and knows his wife's in there on crutches and punks getting triple teamed at the very least. Fuck it. Any normal person, whether they got a goddamn job as a, a producer or a representative of Walmart or whatever the fuck is going to go do the same goddamn thing. If they have any balls and or self-respect. So you know, sorry. If his wife hadn't have been in there and he hadn't seen numerous guys in a conflict with his best was single alone best friend, then yeah, then yeah, you're supposed to break some shit up, whatever the fuck. But no, that other shit changes. Well, we shall see what happens, but you had the same reaction I did to the Kenny Omega bite photo to circle back to where we started. That looks like where you'd get bitten if you put your arm in front of someone's mouth. Yes. Yeah, which is the the way you've got to do it when you're going to try to get on somebody's back and fucking choke them. So maybe Kenny ought to concentrate on not trying to choke people while he's on their back. Jim, another story related to AEW. I don't remember how much on the air we've talked about the various things that's been covered every day on the wrestling news as it happened. But Malachi Black, we've heard a bunch of rumors about whether he was released or whether he requested his release or whether it was a conditional release, but not a lot from the mysterious man himself. Have you been following the trials and tribulations of the contract status of Malachi Black? Well, there was the uh, the up and down, in and out situation where is he gone? Isn't he gone? Why does he want to go? Speculation ran rampant since Triple H was back in charge and. He was a uh, an NXT uh, favorite of Triple H's, blah, blah, blah. But I understand that finally the silence has been broken from the mysterious man in the black room. And he put out a lengthy statement, which which I read. And if you want to read, you know, I I can take out the trash and read a book while you do it. It was a very lengthy statement that said plenty about what wasn't the case, but nothing about what actually was the case in right. circles. And I have this here, this 
very long missive that he issued on social media. And I will say, a lot of wrestlers in AEW, shouldn't say a lot, just to be clear, there are wrestlers in AEW who do think that this is some ploy to get back to the WWE now that Paul Levesque's in charge. Whether that's true or not, that is a perception out there amongst co-workers. But here is his missive. All. Firstly, thank you. I feel like I have to do it in his voice, but I can't. Firstly, thank you all for your messages. Know they are being read and appreciated. With all the turmoil going on in the landscape of professional wrestling, took the time, he must have left out a word, took the time to think of my words, but also needed to wait until conversations between mine and AEW's camp had come to a conclusion. So let's stop there. It's a little jilted in the wording, but it sounds like he's saying that there is now a conclusion between him and AEW, right? Yes, we got the word conclusion in there. So whatever was happening has now apparently concluded. Firstly, dislike reading parts of my private conversations between myself and AEW in regards to my mental well-being on the internet. These conversations were private and not meant to be shared with the public. As by now most people realize, I'm a very private person and do not feel the need to have stuff like this out on the internet. If you've been following me longer than a cup of coffee, you're aware I've spoken about them prior, but would like to be the one deciding when this finds its way to the public and not through someone else's mouth, as with anything through the lips of someone else, the story gets distorted. Now let's stop there. That's fascinating. He's flat out it saying is? He's flat out <laughs> saying AEW leaked the story about him taking time off for mental health. That's what he's saying there. Well, yes, it, and he could have said it a lot quicker too, with fewer words and consonants and vowels and syllables and etc. But also the only thing that I ever heard, if, forgive me if I missed some of the gossip, I wasn't paying close attention was just that he was wanting to take a break from the wrestling business because of his mental health. H have people been going out saying he's as crazy as a rainbow trout in a car wash or whatever the fuck? Again, maybe I missed it because he alludes here that he's spoken of this in the past, but this was the first I knew of him having any mental health or needing time off for mental health. This is the first I had heard about it. So You know, may maybe... Uh, Tony Khan is not the only one. A lot of the wrestlers these days assume that everybody in the world knows everything about them. And maybe <laughs> that's part of the problem is nobody explains shit anymore. They refer to shit they've explained in the past when we didn't know you fucking existed. But go ahead with his statement. Secondly, to be in line with the above... They also need context. He, he really writes in a weird way. I did indeed ask for my release. The last two years of my life have lended to a lot of setbacks. Both me and my wife have been affected by uncontrollable actions from the outside that resulted in the loss of life. Medical setbacks, career jeopardizing, the suicide of a close friend, and a close family member almost losing their life. Then experiencing an injury that I was sure was the end of my career. I spend every week going through several sessions of rehab, dry needling, and therapy just to be able to walk and compete. Now this being the tip of the iceberg, and with the combination of the promises in my professional field that were not upheld, oh. which resulted as a combination of all of these to a complete demoralization 
of life and career, this decision had been in my mind for the past six months. So let's stop there. Well, apparently, (laughs) he was told that he was going to be a top guy, which is how he was brought in and immediately knocking Cody out. And then everything went sideways and his shit didn't get over. And they either the stuff he wanted to do or the stuff Tony was having him do. And this whole fucking group apparently was either not his idea or not the, the way he envisioned it. And thank goodness, maybe there's hope for him because it's been rotten, but maybe he knows it was rotten and he was trying not to do that. I think it's all him. I think this is all his stuff, and his problem is they didn't go further with it. Well, in that case, then, there you, know, you again, go again, also. And to, I mean, you know... Guys go to AEW because they think they're going to get creative freedom, or at least they did for a while. And he, but he also, he cited a laundry list of things there that, yes, are terrible things to happen, and but it d- didn't sound like it all happened to him. He obviously wasn't the one who lost his life. There, it, It's... He's speaking in circles and riddles, but if he's had private issues go on in his life, that's terrible. But everybody else does too, right? So, um, I'm he, he wouldn't be the he his, wouldn't be the only person in that locker room or any wrestling locker room who is going through a lot of things the last few years, right? So, you know, that's it, and if if that's caused him to want to step away from his current employment, then that's fine too. But I think it may be a lot more of it is he might want to stay there at something he obviously chose to do and enjoys doing unless they were in his mind fucking him around or fucking it up some kind of way. And that kind of revealed that there. It's hard to really put a finger and say, this was the moment it all went wrong but can tell you after many years that have learned from a rational point of view to see when I need to hit the brakes, which is what this is. Perhaps once my mind settles on certain things and processes the last two years a bit better, we'll convey, via a different platform than written out, what the exacts were that happened and have a more informed conversation about them. For now, know that I am good. And am talking, excuse me, and am taking, for the first time in 22 years, a few months to recalibrate the last two decades of my life. How old is he? I didn't think he was that old. Lastly, having read a few narratives online in regards to my release, mental health, and my personal life that I could summarize swiftly, if it didn't come from me, it didn't happen. Stuff about conditional releases? stuff in my marriage, or using said mental health to leverage the other, when, as said before, that part wasn't even going to be part of the public conversation, are false. My marriage is fine. Am fine. It is just time to make sure those things stay that way. Once again, appreciate your support, and we will see each other soon. Signed, MB. So he's not... From the United Kingdom. He's from the Netherlands or something, right? I believe so, yes. So is English his second language? What do they speak over there? 
Let me find out. Hold I'm, on. Try, I'm trying to get him off the hook for writing a very unwieldy, hard to fathom, poorly worded and hectic statement. But when we've heard him speak, he has a an accent, but it didn't sound like, you know, I don't know where. Obviously, he's just learned English in the last, what, week or two. At least writing it. You're usually a quicker Googler. I'm trying. They speak uh, the Netherlands. The official language. This can't be right. The official languages are Dutch, Romani, Yiddish. This can't be right. Hold on. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Maybe you can speak to him. Dutch is the language, the official language of the, of, of the Netherlands. Of the Netherlands. Netherlands. Uh, I would think that a lot of people there speak English, too, but maybe I'm wrong. But Dutch is the official language. I'm just trying to give the guy an out. Maybe he's like Nietzsche in Dutch. Or maybe he's Leechy. <laughs> All right, well, that's what I've got to say about that. Having heard this statement and just closing your eyes and imagining imagining whatever the last several conversations were between him and Tony Khan. Going on this statement and what we've seen on TV and whatever we've heard, do you think it would be difficult to deal with this guy's management? Actually, I'm still trying to visualize in my imagination this guy sitting down talking to Tony Khan, thinking about how Tony fucking is not economical with his words. And boy, think about who's saying that. And then this guy's all over the place. I'm thinking that they're, they fucking confused each other. That may be what the holdup was. They couldn't figure out what each other were saying. Well, with Malachi Black taking time off, recalibrating his life, I bet he could use a good night's sleep. You know, he probably could. And I'll tell you what, I could too. Because boy, oh boy, I'm sore today because I got out and did that Physical labor that I was talking about earlier. But you know what? When you've got something nice, something something soft and comfortable and comforting and and warm and cozy to lay your old broken body down at the end of the day, whether you've been taking bumps in the ring or doing yard work or just being browbeaten by somebody, by life in general, just being beaten down, whacked, whacked around. By life with a stick, if you lay down on a helix mattress, Brian, you forget all that. You sleep like a baby. You wake up every hour pissing the bed and crying. No, but you, no, no. No, you, you wake up the next day feeling like a million dollars, dirty, green, and wrinkled. But I'll tell you one thing, ladies and gentlemen. The helix lineup from our folks at Helix Sleep, it includes 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models, a mattress for big and tall sleepers. If you're eight feet tall or 600 pounds, you can probably be sleeping alone if you're either one of those, but they got one for you. Even a mattress made just for kids. You ought to see the wee little thing. It's only two feet long. It's fucking cute. It's about three inches thick. You can put it up in the back of one of those old fucking Lincoln Continentals, Are the you, town cars. Stop it. You can put it up in the back window, put the kid back there on road trips. He won't even bother you. First of all, stop making up products. Second of all, that's not the way anyone's allowed to use their car or have kids in their car for at least the last 35 years or so. Seatbelt. You car never seat. rode up in the up in the back window one of those big why well, my uncle Tommy had one of those Ford Galaxy 500s that I could Fucking hop right up there. I'll tell you what, boy, 
the girls in Jonesboro, Arkansas, when they'd follow you back to Memphis after the Saturday night matches, there was one girl in Jonesboro had this huge sedan, and it was a big back seat area with a big shelf in the back. And they used to do wonderful shows if you hit them with the high beams when you were following them right there in the back window. But anyway, folks, back to the Helix Sleep Mattress. Yes, back to that. There is no better way to test out a new mattress than sleeping on it in your own home or doing whatever you do to mattresses in your own home. And that's why they offer a 100-night risk-free trial. So you get this mattress, you desecrate it in any way that you want for 100 nights to make sure that you like it and it works right, has the right amount of bounce to it and everything. And if you don't like it, then they will come back and pick it up and give you a refund. And then you'll have the satisfaction of knowing the next motherfucker gets that mattress. He's going to, oh boy, the things you've done. But everybody's unique, folks, and everyone sleeps differently. That's why they got the different models. And you just get on helixsleep.com and you take that quiz, tells them how you like to sleep on your side or your back or your stomach or face first with your ass up in the air, however you like to sleep. And then they'll match you with the mattress that most uh, uh, suits your needs. They come with a 10 or 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And they've been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. Everybody that works for GQ and Wired Magazine was required to sleep on a Helix mattress for eight hours a night for six months. And then they were unhandcuffed and allowed to write the reviews. And it's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors, doctors of sleep medicine, chiropodists, and ovarian uh, uh, OBGYN type of doctors. They, because you don't want Gynecologists. To, there you go. That's what I was looking at. The gynecologists love these kind of mattresses. They say it aids in the reproductive uh, situation there. But anyway... And if you don't have to be nervous about buying a mattress online because of that Helix Sleep quiz, they've, they've got all the information. And you wouldn't believe some of the questions they ask. And just make sure you give them all your financial information and all your bank account they're, account numbers. They're not going to so, ask you for any of that until it's time for payment, of course. And Well, this, and then they'll clean you out. No, nope. they'll bill you for what you buy. They won't clean well, you out. Yeah, that's what you think. Stop making Folks, up products and stop saying that they're going to rip people off. They're going to give people a good mattress. I didn't say they were going to rip anybody. Yeah, you're going to get a good mattress and you'll pay for it in the end one way or the other. If you don't want to pay up front, by God, they'll take it out on you afterwards. But anyway, if just go to helixsleep.com. That's what you need to do. Helixsleep.com slash JCE. Because right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. So you go to helixsleep.com slash JCE and you make that purchase and you get up to $200 and to, up to two free pillows or up to two free. You could get one free. I don't You know what? I needed some more pillows because I'll tell you what, after my big birthday dinner, I went to sleep that night and I had a nightmare because I had all that food sitting on my stomach. And I dreamed that I was at a picnic and I ate a bunch of marshmallows that I'd toasted over the open flame. And when I woke up, all my pillows were gone. And boy, was I sick to my stomach. Folks, with Helix Sleep, better sleep starts right now. That's right. And better sleep will continue here on this show, obviously, where I'm half asleep. But Jim, 
Let's continue going on here with the show. If people only knew what you've been through for the past, but one of these days you're going to be able to share that information and they will thank you from the bottom of their hearts for even being able to produce and perform on these programs that you've done over the last week or two. Listen, I'd be more than happy if Swami would just stop barking. But Jim, let's get to our next topic or question or whatever this is here. Get AEW stuff a little bit out of the way. I'm sure that may be more later, but there was a promo that several listeners requested we check out from Marina Shafir, who we've seen wrestle, and I think maybe talk in a promo package, but we've never actually seen a promo from her in what it turns out is her hometown, Albany, New York. Well, and she may have put an end to Tony's habit lately of, of shining people in their hometown. <laughs> if, if, you, if you came from that town, no matter who you are, where you are on the card, you're going to get to do something because they're going to like you, which is the opposite of what Vince would do for years. I never understood that. Embarrassing people in their hometown, but you don't have to take, you know, the lighting guy. Hey, the lighting guy is from fucking Dubuque. So we're in Dubuque. Let's let the lighting guy win the belt or something. But apparently they gave Marina Schaefer a live promo. Shafir. Whichever. And she's out there with, I guess it was after a match or something, or Nala Rose is out there with her and Vicky Guerrero. And they turn the microphone over to Marina. And we have seen some of her matches. Unfortunately. And I know she was a an MMA fighter. I know she was pals with Ronda Rousey, and probably I don't remember her level of accomplishment in that world. But what we have seen of her as a professional wrestler has been abysmal. And 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 she's the one that's married to Roderick Strong, right? That's right. One of the one of the, not only the best workers in the, in the just technical in-ring workers in the business in any company, but also a guy that's been around long enough and he's been in the developmental program. He knows how to train, teach, advise. She's got to be, and I hate to say this, but she's got to be hopeless at this point. If she actually not only has been through training in a variety of places, but lives with a trainer. But we'd never, we'd heard her speak in packages, as you said, but we'd never heard her live. And now we know why. Because as brutal as it has been to watch her wrestling, apparently public speaking is not one of her strong points either. And Brian, I defy you to explain to me what this promo was. It it wasn't what it was going to be, obviously. There was something in there that she was going to say that, that she had told somebody beforehand or somebody had told her or something. I can't believe they just let her go out there and just do a live promo for two minutes, Marina. Somebody had to have suggested some material or heard her say it and said, okay, that sounds okay or makes sense in some fashion. And then she went out there and just, it left her mind. Just blank. Well, speaking of fashion, what did you think of her wearing a straw hat? Well, yeah, that is somebody on Twitter remarked that it, she looked like Huckleberry Finn if he'd fucking forgotten <laughs> his own name. <laughs> um, 
It's, <laughs> but so she, yeah, she's wearing a straw hat. And she starts by saying that, and now they're heels, right? And Vicky's as heel as you can get. And we have audio if you want to play any audio too. Oh my God. Oh yeah. Well, there's no way I can describe this and let you take it, take it from here. Well, if you want to stop at any point, let me know. I'm sure I will. I just want to let the audience know at some point she will reference you. At that point, she's pointing to the camera and the home audience watching on YouTube. Just want to be clear of that because it could be confusing. But here is after a no. Oh, you don't match, think you think that's the only thing in this promo? It's going to be confusing. We will find out. Here's Marina Shafir. To me, my client Marina Shafir has a message just for you. Marina Shafir going to speak here. The problem. She is a problem. Hey, real quick, let me stop. It's nice <laughs> to, they're using Ian Riccoboni on uh on YouTube now. Well, yes, I thought the voices actually sounded like they knew what they were doing, but I wasn't wasn't sure. But yes, um, the Ring of Honor announced crew there, and also Marina's nickname is the problem. And did the agents just, get, did the producers backstage give her that nickname? <laughs> I'm I'm just the the jokes are writing themselves at this point. Go ahead, Albany. That's where we are. <laughs> My name is Marina Shafir, daughter of Disabella Shafir and Benjamin Shafir, and you welcomed us with open arms in 93 when we immigrated here from Moldova. Oh, it's story time. Okay, you stop, stop, stop. know. Stop. Okay. <laughs> you no good son of a bitches welcomed us with open arms when we came here from Moldovia. Or Moldavia. Moldova, Moldova. I wish they molded over and decided <laughs> might as well go to the United States. Why is she screaming it? Why is she mad that they welcomed her parents with open arms? This is this is the way this thing starts, and it gets worse, and you can't figure it out. She's upset. Go ahead. In a straw hat once again, but here In a she straw is. Hat. Oh me. Yes, you do. My parents created the problem. <laughs> In Albany, you raised the problem. You are a part of the problem. <laughs> Everybody's blaming Albany tonight. It's, it's not the best. All of you, <laughs> all of you are part of the problem. Let them have it, Marina. Oh, these are ticket-buying fans. What are we trying are to chase You them? know me. Part of the problem. Now, I just want to stop here. I mentioned she, she keeps using the word you. Right now, she's still talking to the room. It's about to turn to the camera. Yeah, she, she's pointing up in the stands all around. You know me. I hit your part of the problem. Because you welcomed my parents with open arms when they immigrated from Moldania. Moldova? And uh, let's go back to Maria. I'm Shafir. sorry, baby. When we immigrated from Monrovia. Is that where the Monroe brothers are from? That's actually where they were born. Yeah, Monrovia. <laughs> All right. Here's Maria Shafir. You're part of the problem, Ian. You don't know me. <laughs> you don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know me. You don't 
<laughs> and now she's kicking the turnbuckles also. She's kicking the bottom turnbuckle over and over while screaming that while earlier, you know me, now she's screaming, <laughs> you don't know me! <laughs> Losing her mind here. And look at Vicky. She- and the commentators just making <laughs> fun of this whole segment as it happens. <laughs> there, there's nothing they can explain. They're still trying to figure it out. They're looking at their notes like, was this down here? It's like... Back when the the Marx Brothers were on Broadway, <laughs> whoever wrote the fucking play would stand in the back on opening night, and and finally, you know, every once in a while, they Shh, I just heard one of the lines I wrote. Well, I don't know what George S. Kaufman would have thought of this, but let's go back to the end of Marina Shafir. She loves this descent into madness. The madness in the eyes of Marina. Understand this. Understand this. When the violins play. Violence is always on the way. Oh boy! Violence, <laughs> and that's uh, that's the end. Understand this: if you understood nothing else I said, <laughs> so when the violins play, the violence is on the way. I'm assuming her theme song has violins. Otherwise, this makes completely no sense. Well, you know, we've heard so much about sax and violins on television. And I think that a saxophone or a violin is just fine to have on television. I don't know why people are upset about sax and violins on television. Why do I hear Jim Barnett as you're doing this bit? Because I can't do a a good (laughs) Roseanne, Rosanna Dana. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well so, <laughs> i do a better barnett than i do a roseanne never mind the fact that they aired this i mean <laughs> again it's well, you can't really you can't really say that they aired it it was on youtube and their numbers are not as big as ours but but still it, it's not doing this poor girl any favors to when somebody i mean there were a couple of times in OVW when I had green talent, you know, inexperienced rookies, whatever, people hadn't done television, that you would, for their own sake, so people didn't see them doing what she was doing, having a goddamn mental meltdown because she obviously couldn't figure out how to say what she had in her head. You don't want people to see that. They didn't have to air that. It wasn't live. But, you know, it's not the job of the technical producers, the people who actually punch the buttons to determine what goes on the television program. Any TV program that I've booked, been responsible for booking, that was also me. I determined what stayed and what went, if anything. I don't know what Tony's process is for it, but somebody should have said, no, we shouldn't show this and you know because people are going to be laughing at this poor lady which they are okay so what if the roles were reversed and again you're not jim Cornette, the podcaster critiquing this you're jim Cornette, the producer or the agent and she comes back and you can't say just quit the business that's off the table (laughs) what do you say to help someone like this who is trying is trying i mean she's clearly trying it's just not working well first I would have to know what she was trying to say or was supposed to have said or what it what it sounded like that somebody reasonable said, yeah, go out and do this. Because you 
I mean, I can't, I can't figure out a way to critique something when I don't know what it was supposed to be beforehand. And somebody's going to say, well, then how do you know it was bad? No, we just played it for you. That was bad. When, when nobody knows what the fuck you're talking about and there's light chance of shut the fuck up in the building, chances are the promo is not landing. It's not getting across. It's not riveting. I, you know, depending on what was she wanting to do there, um, she starts off in an angry tone while thanking the people for welcoming her parents with open arms. But then maybe there's some something she left out as to why that then, but then she had problems with the town because she's a problem. Or I, I, I don't know what's, I don't know whether to tell her be more baby face-ish or be more heelish or don't be so mad. Be another emotion. What the fuck was the point of all of that? So, but you've got to know that before you can critique somebody to say, you know, just what do I say? Don't lose your mind and start kicking the turnbuckles and screaming the same words over and over when people are still going as to what you're talking about. And are we supposed to like you or not like you? You're from our hometown, but we're part of the problem. I don't, what, was there some cute play on words that was really going to register there if she'd have said it right? I don't know. I think that whole thing was probably a 30 second conversation. You go out there and you say, I was born here. I was raised here. You guys raised the problem. You know me. The people at home don't know me. But when the violence start, the violence starts or whatever the fuck she said. <laughs> it's just she added an extra two minutes of, you know me! Hold on. Well, and there, and there she is on the phone right now. Fucking spam. Hold on. Fuck you. All right. <clears throat> I pulled the Jim Cornette here today. Very good. We can't end on that note. Say something else. So we end on a different note. Um, we end on a note well, uh, but Marina, uh, <laughs> thanks for playing. Try again. Uh, you know, I, I would say if she rehearsed that over and over, I would say next time don't rehearse at all. If she didn't rehearse it at all, I'd say next time do a lot of rehearsal. Next time, whatever you did this time, do the exact opposite. Did you have to work a lot with Roddy on promos? Yes. Yes. That... <laughs> It, uh, Roddy's a smart guy, and he's, uh, again, another one of these guys that's funny as fuck in the locker room and very personable, but... Roderick Strong, for anyone listening at home wondering. Yeah. Yes. Not Roddy Pike. But for for what, for quite a while, and remember I've said in NXT with the Undisputed Era, he started coming out with it, and he it much improved and sounded like he meant things. But Roddy had not only a struggle with being a natural public speaker, but also the tone of his voice lent itself to making it sound like he didn't mean what he said, if that makes any sense. He just had that tonal quality. I don't know. And it was tough. That was, that was why when we switched him heel uh, and made him the, champion he he got truth martini as a manager because you could get some declarative statements out of roddy and it sounded okay and his work was impeccable but he needed somebody else do the majority of the talking and or explaining or anything that was 
a little more complicated or whatever. And, and, and we were always trying to fire him up, fire him up verbally. Well, luckily, Marina Shafir has the truth martini of AEW, Vicky Guerrero in her corner. Oh, boy. That's another shoe, boy. All right. Nevertheless. Well, Jim, continuing on with things you're going to critique and give your review of, let's get any reviews out of the way now. I did talk to you. Oh, now, that's a great way to build anticipation from the audience, the listening public. Well, let's get this dreck out of the way. This is a, a main part, a major part of your program, Brian. The the enlightenment and the education that we give people on these on these reviews of these wrestling programs don't just bury the lead and slough them off i agree with don't you don't be a sluffer however no one can deny the dreck that is smackdown which apparently you found a way to get through the drecky dreck well it's been so long now since i've watched this but i have notes um no again we're going to try to keep giving these programs intermittent second chances. Um, Raw's the tough one. We're going to talk about a little Raw, I guess, on on the experience this week. But that's three hours. And God, they've got so much ability to waste time on that program. But last week, we, we pointed out NXT and had some uh, comments about that. This week, we're trying SmackDown. We're trying to see... If the um, the new regime and the changes, I, mean, I know there's little changes. They can say wrestling and, you know, there's bigger changes. They brought some, you know, uh, talent that was alienated or expatriated. They brought them back into the fold. But we got to get a little bit better wrestling program, right? So one thing that made me want to watch this program was the return of Paul Heyman, the Pauls, Logan Paul and Paul Heyman. And they're together. I'm popping my peas now, aren't I, pal? But Logan Paul and Paul Heyman are going to be interacting with each other and Roman Reigns is in the mix. And that was the, the first segment on SmackDown this past weekend, the day before my birthday, September 16th where Logan Paul made his big entrance and they're calling him the Maverick. The Maverick, Logan Paul. Do you think that's going to stick? Is that going to work? That's not a good one, no. He doesn't yeah. need it. Not everyone needs a nickname, by the way, especially when they're already more famous than all your wrestlers. Yes, and and does anybody know what a Maverick is anymore? Is that word old-fashioned? See, if I think something's old-fashioned, it's got to be out of date. Would they have pulled crap like this if John McCain was still alive? No, and nor James Garner, either one. But apparently from the announcers, Logan Paul is, and I quote, perpetually on the minds of everyone around the globe. So at any rate, we won't penalize Logan by the announcer's stilted attempts to get him over. He does a good conversational promo. Cause he's glib and he's and he's with it, right? As as far as promoting things, obviously he's got this far, and he had fun with the what chance, and he knocked old Floyd Mayweather, and he talked about the press conference that they were that they did on Saturday, and challenged Roman Reigns to meet him there because he they've had a interplay and some kind of beef on a podcast they did together, and then suddenly. Boom, music, and here comes the bloodline and Paulie's in the, in the lead. And he's wearing 
I don't know if this was, you know, a rejected wardrobe for the penguin in the new Batman movie or a tablecloth at a picnic, but God, it was a loud suit. And he introduced himself and he gets in the ring, the bloodline surrounding the ring. So they're menacing old Logan Paul. And did you see this, Brian? I did, yes. Does anybody do better smarmy backhanded compliments with the passive aggressive as the kids say stuff? He verbally filleted Logan Paul and then gradually starts injecting a little smart ass and then finally threatens Logan Paul about running his mouth about Roman Reigns and telling him to be smart and pick a fight with somebody else. And again, Logan Paul is good with this. He's more natural. You know what this may be? This may be because Logan Paul knows that the producers, if he just goes out there and says shit he wants to say, the producers are not going to chastise him for not following the exact verbiage of the script. And neither are the writers because he's Logan Paul. I think all the wrestlers that should be allowed to do what he's doing, or well, some of them shouldn't. Some of them shouldn't be allowed on TV. But you know what I'm saying. They're too scared to change anything or to go into business for themselves on a promo in a positive way, putting themselves in it, getting it over as more natural, because they're scared they're going to get yelled at for not saying what they're supposed to fucking say. But this guy can because he knows he's a star and they need him. So. Anyway, he says, what, are you afraid I might challenge Roman Reigns? What if I land that one lucky shot? And the way that they were, because remember we talked about this on the last show and that you said, well, should they be given Logan Paul a title shot? Well, no, legitimately, no, because he's only had two matches, but they need a main event for a big paid show. It's like a $50 million fair show where you don't have to sell tickets and they don't care who watches Peacock because it's going to be on, you know, a weekday afternoon or whatever United States time. So they need an attraction that they can pretty much justify to the Saudis that it's worth the money they're paying. And in the process, they will attempt to get this over as, as good as possible, but they're not wasting. Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre again, Roman Reigns versus maybe Bobby Lashley. The the list is limited. So I understand what they're doing, and, you know, for a situation like this, there's nothing wrong with it. They're not expecting anybody to buy a ticket to see this. It's a celebrity match. But anyway, so that's when... You know, Paul says, well, I hate to hear that because now I've got to handle you. And he yells for Solo. And as Logan Paul goes to draw back on Paul, here comes Sammy jumps in. And he's, I've got this. I got this. <laughs> Did you see Paul's face? When he's he's trying to sick Solo Sokoa, the street fighter, on Logan Paul, and Sammy jumps in. And the in incredulousness on Paul's face, and he, you've got it, and he just pitches the microphone. Handle it then! And Sammy tries to turn and reason with Logan Paul, and Logan Paul just, just drops him with one punch. 
And here comes the bloodline, and Logan rolls out. And then Ricochet, for whatever reason, runs down. Well, I know the reason I'll say in a minute, but in the context of this, Ricochet runs down and backs him up. So now here comes five foot four, 140-pound Ricochet to back Logan Paul up against one, two, three Samoans, Sami Zayn, and the son of Alfred Hitchcock. But the reason why Ricochet came down was because he's got a match with Sami Zayn next so they could go to the break and you're hooked. You can't turn away. But anyway, this interview segment uh, led to the press conference, which we will talk about here in a little while on Saturday, which led to the Saudi Arabia match that we're going to see at whatever point. But this was a good promo segment. It, it, you know, it makes you as interested as you're going to be in Roman Reigns against Logan Paul. I thought. What'd you think? I thought it was pretty good. Nice to see Heyman back out there wearing an outfit from the Vince McMahon going at a business sale or I don't know where he got that <laughs> fucking suit. Logan Paul, he's got size. He's got arms. His arms were the biggest ones of anyone in there. They were defined. They look good. He could do his kind of promo. Again, it's not the wrestling promo. It's something that feels a little more natural especially if you've been watching this guy for years. I think he's really good. I thought the segment was really good. What do you think of Sami Zayn's role with the uh, bloodline? Honestly, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago. It's so silly, but Sami Zayn is the kind of guy that can make it work. Yeah, he pulls it off. I agree. If it was anybody else, this would be so corny and it wouldn't be funny because you could tell the guy was reciting lines or whatever but with with Sami Zayn again with the formerly mute imitation luchador that never wanted to speak it's a goddamn highlight i can't you know him and Heyman in the same segment you got gold so i think you know that's the the flunky in the group that can take some of the ass whipping that they've been given those poor Usos for months and months and months and years. And again, the problem I have with them, they're supposed to be the tag team champions, but every opponent that Roman Reigns has can beat them both up by himself. They go from being his flunkies and the, 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 the cannon fodder for the next heavyweight challenger but then they go out and they're competitive with every tag team. You can't do both. And I think they're better as the flunkies right now. Because they're in a main event position, which tag teams ain't going to be. But uh, with Sammy, and also with Sammy not liking, I can never remember, Jimmy or Jay, one or the other, and the other one trying to be the the peacemaker. Yeah, one was laughing while he was getting his ass kicked, and the other one was getting madder and madder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that that's fun. So, I mean, again, everything around Roman Reigns is usually held to a higher standard and, and outperforms. But uh, did you watch the match with Sammy and Ricochet? Yeah, it was through a couple commercial breaks. I watched it. Okay, I'm going to talk about that because... <sighs> I've I've had nothing good to say about Ricochet before because every time I've seen him, he's gone instantly into the goddamn high school cheerleading routines and just flipping and flopping and, you know, gesticulating about. 
Sami Zayn, I've said this also, his in-ring work is excellent. He's got no fucking physique whatsoever. He's stronger than he looks. And he his work is great. So Ricochet actually wrestled here. There were tackles and drop downs, holds, my God. And after they did some wrestling, then Ricochet did one flippy spot and it worked and Sammy took a powder. And then Ricochet went for a springboard, but Sammy wiped his feet out, you know, from under him and he took a bump and he got on him for some heat. And then Ricochet fired up at one point, but Sammy pushed him off the top rope onto the barricade, which looked good, and he sold it, and that was their break spot. At some point in here, Michael Cole mentioned pro-wrestling chimpanzee, and Twitter lost their mind. Oh, they said that they first met in pro-wrestling gorilla in a barn in Reseda. Anyway, um... Coming back from the break, Sammy's the one coming off the top rope, but Ricochet jumps up and hits him with a drop kick, and it was actually beautiful. That almost never happens. That the whoever the kicker is times the guy coming off the top rope for whatever, super kick, drop kick, big boot, whatever, times it right. They did. Ricochet made a big comeback, hit a beautiful crossbody off the top rope, got a nice two count. They went back and forth. Heyman spilled a fucking drink all over Michael Coles' notes, which was a high point there. And then, um, you know, they had a hot, another couple of hot false finishes back and forth for two counts. And I was right. This is great. They've got them going. There's action. They're nailing all their shit. People are interested. And then Sammy and one of the Usos get in the arguments and Ricochet flips onto everybody. And then, you know, uh, bowls him over and then pitches Sammy back in and hits a shooting star off the top, which he didn't have to stand up there like Malachi Black is. No, is it Malachi Black that's doing the. No, it's Pac. I'm sorry. Pac and Black. I got confused. Pac stands up on top for 38 seconds before he jumps, but Ricochet came right off. Boom, one, two, three, and got a big pop. This was the first match wrestling match I've seen Ricochet have. I stopped watching them after the first few I saw that were just blah, blah. He's not a top guy because of his size, but he could be a, again, a middle card baby face that you care about. If he's got a guy that can work to lead him and let him do the best stuff he can do, but not everything he can do and not the phony stuff, but make it look, like it makes sense so you know again this was good and then the bloodline was gonna close in on poor old ricky ricochet and here came mosh pit jones out with uh, a chair to ward off the bloodline your thoughts on the match good match can't add too much more to what you said i've never uh had a problem with ricochet like you have i have enjoyed some of his matches in the past and Sami Zayn is a really talented guy, and he's, like you said before, he's one of the few guys that you can make a little silly and it works because it doesn't feel unnatural. I thought it was good. I thought it was a good open to the show so far, actually. Even though he's a pain in the ass, I've never said Sammy couldn't go. That's um, the thing. when people Sometimes when people try to attack your Ring of Honor run, they'll say, he buried Steen and Generico, missing the entire point of what was happening with Steen and Generico. <laughs> 
It was the opposite. He didn't bury them. He tried to work with them. Well, yeah, I, you know, gave Steen six months off so he could lose some fucking weight and, and arranged to get him paid for a payoff on the 12 Ring of Honor shows he would have missed in six months. They were running twice a month. And then brought him back at a top spot on a television production where he was then made the world champion, even though he never lost that fucking weight. I mistreated him so badly, and he still never wanted to do anything. And and what we would have liked out of good old El Generico was take the fucking mask off, learn how to speak English, and oh, by the way, let's pin you down on signing a long-term contract so we can make plans for you. But none of those things happened, so he wandered away. So he signed NXT, took off his mask, and did everything <laughs> and you were going to do with talk. him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, speaking of learning how to talk, uh, Karrion Cross and Scarlet, they're in black and white. They got spooky music. They got spooky verbiage in the pre-tape. These two do it well, but was this stuff even better when a hundred different people in every company weren't doing it? Yeah, there's the problem right there. We see way too much of this kind of promo, promo package, whatever you want to call it. It's too frequent now, so it doesn't seem special. But again, they do it well, and they're coming after McIntyre. So tick-tock on that thing. And then, oh God, the Duprees were in the ring. Max Dupree and his sister. Her lung lumps were hanging out, but I, I just couldn't. When I saw Mansway and Mansoor come out, I'm like, I can't do this. And I was about to hit the fast forward. When here comes Braun Strowman. I know he came back last week, but we didn't watch it. But he's back. And he comes out and kills the models. Just beats both of them up. Bounces them off the railing. Power bombed one. Milked the crowd. I'm back. I'm back. And then here comes Chad Gable. Now, like, what the fuck? I guess they're just feeding him insignificant people. They probably wanted to get rid of the models. Maybe they've written that off because nobody's ever going to take them seriously anyway, and especially not now. But I guess they're feeding Gable and Otis, whatever. Anyway, Gable comes out while Braun's looking at Gable. Otis attacks Strowman from behind. <laughs> he just kind of, he nails him from behind and Strowman turns around and looks at him and then beats Otis up. And then beats Chad up a bit, but then Otis comes back and picks Braun Strowman up and slams him. And they leave. And then Strowman gets back up <laughs> and dares him to come back in the ring and slam him again, which Chad won't let him. So <laughs> this went from, okay, they're feeding the new giant that's just returned insignificant people so he can beat them up to... One of the insignificant people is body slammed Braun Strowman on TV two weeks after he gets back. So there's thing. John Studd is calling Braun. He got five years out of milking people trying to body slam him and never had to take a fucking bump. You fucking moron. Whoever produced this is a moron. Braun Strowman is a moron. Anybody that signed off on this is a moron. It was Can bizarre. You, it, it was really bizarre because he gets slammed and then Otis and Gable leave and he kind of does the Undertaker sit up. Yeah. So you're like, okay, he's going to 
He's either going to run out of the ring and attack him, or God forbid, he's going to do a dive on them. I can't imagine that. No, instead he just stood up and yelled at them. Gets mad, yells at him, and dares him to come back in there and do it again. I bet you can't do that again. I bet he can. He just did it a minute ago. If Can you imagine if Andre the Giant hadn't been on WWF TV in three years or whatever the fuck it's been, two years since they fired this fucking big meathead, and he shows up back on TV to much fanfare, and the second week he's back on television, Tito Santana body slams him? What the fuck? <laughs> Not Tito Santana, and an under a mid-card comedy heel tag team. So, I mean, the Rougeos aren't a great comparison, but something more like that than no, Tito Santana. Actually, you can't think of a tag team that was as insignificant and poorly used from that era as Chad Gable and Otis. So it would have to have been like maybe fucking the conquistador or somebody. But there's the comedy aspect. So that, to me, that puts it more in a bushwhacker territory. Yeah. Okay. There Luke body slammed Andre two weeks after he got back. Strowman is big. He's, he, he's just plain large, right? His work doesn't look good. I mean, he can do the elementary power slams and things, but it's a combination of he's not a natural worker, and also because he's so big and strong, if he did, you know, have a margin of error like a normal guy, he could really do some damage, so he's got to fucking pay attention to that. But also, I don't think he has the mind or the understanding of the wrestling business. He was doing it when he was killing the, the models and power bomb. He's he milks the crowd. He makes the motion of milking the crowd. But there's nothing on his face and nothing in his body like, ah, it's just oh, I'm doing this. And that choo choo thing he does around the ring where he just hits somebody with a kind of a pussy ass tackle and runs around and they got to stand there for it. And he's limited, which big guys are. But I'm just, you could get some money out of this guy if he was like Andre, if you only saw him intermittently and he was brought in to be a special partner or to soup up the Royal Rumble or some kind of gimmick battle royal or, you know, sparingly challenging for the, the title and and having an out when he doesn't win it so you don't pop his size aura, but there's nothing else there besides a great Braun Strowman interview. Can you call one up? Great Braun Strowman in-ring performance. Can you call one up? Remember, he won the tag titles with that uh, like nine-year-old kid at WrestleMania a few years back. That's what I'm saying. Great Braun Strowman angle. I think somebody might have, didn't he turn a truck over one time, but the way they made it, it was so ridiculous that everybody was laughing at it. So that's why, you know, less you seem, the better. He's visually impressive. Book him with other people in the match that can do the work and protect him and don't beat him because then, you know, and don't slam him because then he's just a plate full of piss. And I don't, and, and you might can get another couple of years. Maybe that's why they fired him beforehand because once he's been around for a, a little while, You've seen it, and he was making a couple million bucks a year. So that's what I'd do. I would 
I'd have him active about fucking nine out of 24 months and you'd get more return out of those nine months that you, than you would out of the entire 24 with him. All right. Well, we'll see how they use them. I don't know if it'll be that efficient, but what'd you think of the rest of the show? Oh, I forgot. I thought I was answering a question. Um, so Bailey and Dakota and EO damage control did an in-ring promo. And I, I still think Bailey is, if not the best female promo, at least top three. She sounds natural. She's got some attitude. And then, so the three new heels, the heel group, Damage Control, in the ring, out comes Raquel Gonzalez Rodriguez Mascaris and hits the ring, and all three of them bail to the floor. But Bailey is going to have a match with Raquel. And while I like Bailey, I don't like her that much. Time is of the essence here. So basically, the heel screwed Raquel one, two, three, and they got some heat. But Shotzi came out and made a save. And uh, did I miss anything, or did you? Uh... I missed everything. So I okay, couldn't tell there you. you go. So Ronda Rousey was doing a sit-down interview in a in the locker room somewhere. And she had just started and just mentioned Liv Morgan, and here comes Liv Morgan in. And they boot the interviewer out, and they sit there and do bad a, a soap opera audition level acting. It's like if you were auditioning for a part, not even on a network soap opera, maybe something on local television. I don't fucking know. It... <sighs> They're trying with Liv Morgan. Nobody gives a shit, I don't think. I mean, I, I won't say nobody. Yes, a bunch of people like Liv Morgan. All the people, grown adult men that have their favorite girl wrestler's picture as their profile picture on fucking Twitter. They like Liv Morgan. But everybody else says, look, what is this 120-pound little dolled-up blonde girl going to do to Ronda Rousey, who is also equally disinterested and this was devoid of any oomph or grit or legitimate emotion. Um, am I being too hard on it, Brian? I mean, the acting is always bad with these wrestling segments. I didn't think this one was particularly good, specifically from a live. You know, I actually think this is a better environment for Ronda than in-ring promos. Because even if she doesn't say much or anything, she looks like she's ready to kill someone. Like you go read her face and she's not screaming at the room to try to get a reaction. I'm not necessarily saying she needs to be screaming. I just am saying that it needs to sound more natural. But next up was for the NXT North American title, which was just won by Solo Sokoa on. Apparently, the last NXT program he's going to be on, because now he's on the main roster. And he defended against old Mosh Pit Jones, um, who now, except they're still calling him Madcap Moss, but he looks like a fucking star now, because they've taken that goofy outfit off of him. And he's jacked, and he looks good, and his athleticism you can tell he's he why they stuck him next to baron von corbin and that ridiculous gimmick 
is, you know, they have, however long it's been since they started it, that's how far behind they have put this guy in his wrestling career. Because nobody was ever going to give a shit about it, take it seriously, pay attention to him as a result of it, whatever. So both these guys can go because Solo's good. They look great. It's still the same six guys on this show. I remember Mid-South Wrestling used to have more variety on the program. We had 18 guys in the territory. They've got 200 under contract, and we're seeing the same six. Hopefully, they'll change Madcap in the near future. Uh, they, They can go. They look great. Sammy interfered enough until finally... Moss chased him away and then turned around and ran into a super kick. One, two, three. So apparently they're not wanting to push Moss, but at least they made him or let him get rid of his suspenders. And finally, oh, did you have anything, any comments on this one? That was okay. I was surprised they put Solo Sokoa in such a competitive match, considering he just got called up to the main roster and you're trying to introduce him. It was a good match. Uh, for the most part, a little sloppy at a few points, but can't complain too much about this. They're green. And finally, a fatal four-way <laughs> for the number one contendership for one of the tag team titles. Hit Row versus New Day versus Imperium versus Ridge and Butch the Brawling Brutes. And basically, the only guy that I really wanted to see here was Gunther, and he was on the floor in the corner. And it's a four-team match with eight guys, and it's going to be a mess. So I said, fuck it. But the uh, just so you don't get left uh, in the lurch and wondering, Ridge Holland stole Imperium's win over New Day in the end. But this wasn't the most rotten SmackDown in the history of the world. Uh, it's not as bad as it was, as it has been. We'll keep an eye on it. We'll continue to monitor these things, right? We will see about that. I mean, I don't know how much more monitoring of SmackDown I'm going to do if I don't start my day with a healthy breakfast. Well, you're just so abrupt. You want to just <laughs> jump right into that breakfast. Well, just, I, for- just <laughs> pour that bowl of milk and jump right into it and do the backstroke. You know, I'd, every once in a while, when I have my morning breakfast, I like to put that magic spoon in the bowl and pour that milk on top of it and then just put my face in the bowl and just motorboat just go <laughs> just like that doesn't that make a mess uh well sure it does and that's the way you want to start your day with making a mess of magic spoon because that's the the key the spoon is the key brian the spoon is the key to the day and folks again you know the drill by now if you always loved that cereal when you were a kid, when your your mother would slap you in the face to get you out of bed in the morning and kick your ass to get dressed and throw your school stuff at you and stab the back of your hand with a sharpened pencil. Jesus, is that what happened to you? To, just to make sure that you knew to goddamn get to school on time. And then <laughs> they would take, they'd take a big box of cereal and they'd start hitting you over the head with it until the box broke open. And all that cereal spilled out, and then you were expected to get on your hands and knees and eat that cereal off the ground like a dog. That happened to everybody when they were a kid. But all that cereal no. at the time yeah. had had carbohydrates and additives and preservatives and all that 
nasty stuff that you don't want to put in your body. I mean, for heaven's sake, you might as well be drinking formaldehyde as to put all those preservatives in your body. Well, now they have eliminated all that. So now that you're a grown adult, when you get up in the morning and your wife slaps you in the face to get you up and kicks you in the ass to get dressed and then throws your work briefcase at you, and then takes a sharpened pencil and stabs you in the back of the hand just to make sure you God, remember to go to work. Stop it already. And then hits you over the head with a box of magic spoon when that cereal busts out of that cardboard and pours all around you and you get down on your hands and knees and you start lapping it up. You say, oh, this tastes good. Oh, well, this the best part of my day. It's all going to be downhill from here. Well, Jim, we should also make mention of the fact that there are many, many, if not predominantly listeners of this show who have a normal day where they could sit down, pour the cereal themselves, pour the milk themselves, eat it in the traditional fashion with their mouth, and then get up and go. In a traditional fashion with their mouth? I never know what you're going to say, so I want to make sure I'm pretty explicit here in how I'm laying this out, but the point is... I don't think you need to be that explicit. We've got children listening. The point is everyone can enjoy Magic Spoon, even the people who aren't getting hit over the head with the boxes. And stabbed in the back of the hand with a sharpened pencil. It's got zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four to five net grams of carbs at each serving. Low-carb, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and only 140 calories a serving so you can build your own box with all their appealing flavors. We got cocoa, fruity, frosted, peanut butter, blueberry muffin, maple waffle, honey nut, cookies and cream, cinnamon roll. Boy, some of these have a smoky, syrupy finish, and everybody always wants to finish with smoky syrup. Folks, right now, go to magicspoon.com slash gym to grab a custom bundle of cereal and try the magic out for yourself. Just wiggle your wand at this stuff, and it will change into a beautiful, delicious bowl of cereal. And be sure to use our promo code Jim at checkout to save $5 off your order. And don't forget about the 100% happiness guarantee. As a matter of fact, your wife won't let you forget it because she'll stab you in the back of the hand with that sharpened pencil and write you a note, 100%. So you'll remember that if you don't like this cereal for any reason, they will refund your money, they being the folks at Magic Spoon. You cannot get a refund on your wife no matter how hard you ask. So just let let that be known. right now. Get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash Jim. Use the code Jim to save $5 off. It's guilt-free cereal, and it will make you feel better about anything you have to do during the course of the day. If your back's against the wall and you have no other alternative, you have to lash out in this fashion. Whatever you got to do, you got to do. But eat a bowl of Magic Spoon afterwards. You'll feel better about the whole thing. That's right, Magic Spoon. It's a good cereal you can eat in the traditional way, like you eat all cereal and all breakfast, except this one is magical, delicious, and nutritious. Magic Spoon. And And just remember, when the authorities take your statement, try not to mention that you ate Magic Spoon before you did what you're fixing to do. No, you're not going to do anything except enjoy a great breakfast with Magic Spoon. There will be no authorities involved, but... Guilt-free! Guilt-free cereal. You don't have to worry Not about what Scott you're ingesting. Free, though, now, remember, folks, you won't feel guilty about these acts you're about to commit, but that doesn't mean you can get off scot-free. 
You might be punished for this. You won't feel guilty, but you may still encounter punishment. Guilt-free and scot-free, two entirely different things. Okay. Scot-free was WCW when you returned in 89. But we move on with the show here, Jim. You brought up SmackDown. You also brought up a press conference with Roman Reigns and Logan Paul. Yes, I did. Would you like Thank to discuss you for it? reminding me. <laughs> well, I didn't know where you did. I just, you know, I was agreeing with you because you made a declarative statement there, but you didn't ask me if I wanted to discuss it. Do you want to discuss it? Let's discuss it. I think the listeners want to hear what you have to say. But in general, what are your thoughts? Because we're seeing more and more press scrums, press events. Triple H is talking to the press. Tony Khan, MJF just did a flood of wrestling media. What are your thoughts on doing these press conferences? Well, obviously, there's different ways to do them. And press conferences in wrestling can be all over the page. Um, When they try to... And this goes back to the territory days when they try to stick to a more athletic, serious sports based presentation, if I can borrow a, a term or a phrase, then they come off well. Because that's what you should only be having a press conference about the main event guys in your company, one of the either the world tag team title or the world heavyweight title or some top prize. I mean, you know, remember when Crockett had the. Crockett Cup press conferences. The the best one was when he flew everybody up to Baltimore and we had it at Sabatino's, got to eat there for free that day. Those Those are fine. The press scrum afterward that Tony has been doing, and honestly, when was the last wrestling promotion besides AEW that did these press scrums afterwards? Can you remember? Is there has there been another one? Is it was it ever a thing anywhere else? It was a thing in the UFC. No, I'm talking about wrestling. No, no, I, I know. I think that's where it started. It started with AEW yeah. because of the UFC. Okay, well then they, they didn't pay attention because UFC when they do something like that, either a press conference or a media scrum after the show, they actually have first of all legitimate media. They have ESPN. They have Fox Sports. They have fucking legitimate sports illustrated whatever the case right and secondly the the whole idea that tony has for whatever reason that he thinks is a press scrum is to let everybody that has a website dedicated to wrestling that likes his company get in for free to talk to some of their favorite wrestlers and ask them questions that they'll pay. It's not, again, Sports Illustrated, ESPN, major news outlets, whatever the case. So it's a bunch of guys applauding the wrestlers when they come in the room and then asking them friendly questions. And then it's Tony leading the rest of all of his guys to completely break the fourth wall, destroy kayfabe, and just talk about how much fun they had putting their art together and how that everybody just loves everybody for the match that they had that night and blah, blah, blah. So it's a mark fest on every side and on every level. And it those websites are already there and they're already going to cover that fucking show. And my God, the the chances of any of them saying anything negative about the show were astronomical 
So for Tony, it's not even extra press or public relations. It's the opportunity to sit out there and talk to a bunch more marks that like his show and have his wrestlers, his live action figures, come out and sit there. And and we've talked about it. My God, what time did they get to the building? For a pay-per-view at 8 o'clock Eastern, call time of the WWF used to be for the talent, 1 o'clock. And that's the, the crew and the creative team and et cetera have been there before that. Then he wants the guys after they've, sat through one of those five-hour shows and had a match to sit out there for two hours and talk to more fucking fans. And he wonders why shit goes awry. You know, my God, I can't imagine that guys in the WWF that were on top making a fucking shit ton of money 25 years ago, would any of them would have stayed after the goddamn pay-per-view was over with at midnight to talk to fucking NBC News. But that's, you know, that's a, it, it's two different approaches. The WWE, this press conference with Logan, Paul, Logan Reigns, Logan Paul and Roman Reigns, they treated it like the UFC does. They treated it like a legitimate press conference with a professional sports franchise and two athletes that are going to have a fucking fight. And there's Triple H being Dana White stepping in the middle all the way down to, at the end of the thing, the two fighters squaring off for the press pictures and Triple H keeping his hand in the middle to make sure there's no touching and physical violence going on. And the camera's snapping. That looked like it could have been UFC. It could have been boxing. It was talked about in the same tone. The, Logan Paul was put over for his entrepreneurial spirit and his, you know, showmanship and his promotion ability, but also that he hung with Floyd Mayweather and never got knocked down. They legitimized him as best they could with factual statements. But here, you know, Roman Reigns is on God mode. And it was it, it was legitimate at least to some extent, legitimate press there because they had called a press conference and it got, because they're the WWE, they're the industry leader, the standard flag bearer, whatever, so they're going to get in mainstream news publications. Not to say that AEW never does, but mainstream news publications do not have any of their reporters or representatives in the room at midnight after a fucking AEW pay-per-view. So it's just a different, it's like the grownups are doing this and then the kids want to pretend to do like the grownups do. So they do it the other way over here. And it it's just another way that, and it's not necessary. It doesn't need to be this way. This is another place where AEW looks more amateurish, second rate, low rent, minor league, whatever phrase you want to use. Then the WWE, and they're inflicting it upon themselves. They don't have to do these things at all. Or if they did, they could easily, easily either do them before a show where people are dressed up in legitimate clothes and look like professional athletes, or if they've got to do it afterwards, 
at least let the guys take a shower and fucking spruce up a little bit instead of coming in looking like shit and and just droning on something that doesn't benefit the company or the next big show. Your thoughts, Brian? You know, it's interesting. We get so much material for this show and, you know, for the wrestling news that comes out of the scrum. Is it productive, though? I mean, the CM Punk thing, notwithstanding, just in general, taking this last incident out of the equation, how productive is it? I mean, he's getting headlines on all the different wrestling websites, and we know that Tony cares a lot about wrestling websites and wrestling Twitter and the reaction he gets on social media. So it means a lot to him. He gets to sit there and... Would he not be getting the same thing without the media scrum for two hours after the five-hour fucking show? Well, the other thing that you got to take into this is that he wants to do it. He wants to be there (laughs) talking to everyone. He wants to give his opinions on things. He wants to have his views out there in the world. He enjoys doing it more than I think it's a necessary function that needs to be there. Well, maybe he should take up collecting stamps. Just an idea, just a th- something else in his spare time. I know we have he has so much spare time. Something else that he enjoys that may be more productive than dragging the guys out there to talk to a bunch of fan sites at two o'clock in the morning. Because I'm I'm sure that sooner or later there will be emotions running high again, and somebody might say something they they might not have said if it'd been eight o'clock at night and they hadn't been sitting in that building for 14 hours what do you do with logan paul because he's going into this match i'm assuming roman reigns is not going to drop the belt so you have to have him either win or walk out somehow with the belt i don't know if saudi arabia wants fuck finishes for their main events what do you do here with this guy well no you can't switch the belt or then it becomes instead of a a clever way to capitalize on a celebrity that can wrestle that you have under contract, then you've pissed off your most devoted fans because he doesn't deserve it because he's had two fucking matches. And then you got a backlash against the guy. Yeah, you know, hey, maybe put another match on in Saudi Arabia afterwards just to send the Saudi Arabians home happy or at least as happy as they can be because they live in Saudi fucking Arabia. And fuck him, yes, and then maybe... You know, somebody else runs down some of the stars of the WWE that the Saudis will love to see to assist Logan Paul in running off the bloodline and giving Roman Reigns a bump or something. But no, you can't switch the belt. Not even in Saudi Arabia, especially because it's going to be on TV over here. It's not like they could keep it secret. If it was one of those unauthorized Ric Flair Harley race deals in Auckland, New Zealand. That might be one thing, but, but no. Speaking of Tony Khan and press scrums, at least press interviews. I have some quotes here from Tony Khan. I wanted to ask you about this one. Cause this one, there was a few headlines going around about this. Speaking to news 12 long Island, Cablevision used to own that, but probably still do their parent company. Tony Khan had this to say about running in New York. We're running a lot of great shows around the Northeast. It's so many great wrestling markets in one geographic region. (laughs) I'll say it, the crown jewel of wrestling markets. The real crown jewel of wrestling markets, not some BS overseas in Saudi Arabia. (laughs) The real crown jewel, New York City, is where you want to be. Any thoughts on that? 
That was an awkward way to to do that because has has anybody ever called New York the crown jewel of wrestling markets? They've called it's it's the Big Apple. It's the most famous arena in the world. I believe Jack Curley used those exact words in 1931. Well, I don't know. It may it's been a while then, but it, it's they're not even. Saying that Saudi Arabia is the crown jewel of wrestling markets, it's a play on because they have a crown prince over there, crown jewel. It's the name of a show they do over there. He, I think Tony is reaching, trying to figure out a way to compare their running in the Northeast with the Saudi Arabia show. It doesn't, that, that line doesn't fit. There's no double meaning, double entendre, whatever. Does it seem he, like he's taking more shots at WWE lately? Oh, well, probably because, you know, he's naturally got to be feeling shitty about the last few weeks and all the shit that he's had come down on him. And meanwhile, the WWE seems to be clicking right along and do Of course, football is going to beat their ratings up, but football will beat everybody's ratings up. Um, and Tony seemed the one seems to be the one to go, oh, but, but hey, we do this and that. He's just pandering to the fans there. Well, of course, they're going to like the Northeast United States more than Saudi fucking Arabia. Even if they live in Pittsburgh or goddamn Dallas, Texas, or, you know, Phoenix, Arizona, or whatever, they're going to, yeah, the Northeast, not Saudi Arabia, but it that's just, that was shoehorned in there. He, he took a hammer to that to make it fit. I have another one here, Jim. This was sent in to cornydrivethru at gmail.com from Dave in East Alton, Illinois. Tony Khan recently made comparisons of Moxley and Jericho to being his flair and sting. I just wanted to get your thoughts around that statement. I'm pretty sure MJF would be a better comparison to flair if he'd allow him to evolve naturally and maybe Wardlow in the sting spot. Either way, Jericho is more like your Jimmy Valiant. (laughs) <laughs> Not sure where Moxley fits in, but one thing for sure, the Bucks are your ding-dongs. Well, <laughs> he added some of his own commentary there at the end, but what are your thoughts on Tony comparing Moxley and Jericho to Flair and Sting in terms of what they mean to AEW and what those other two meant to WCW? Well, again, I'm flabbergasted. Um, in all honesty, right now, Tony doesn't have a Flair or a Sting. Because maybe actually the closest comparison to Sting may be MJF. To Sting? To Sting. Why? Because I'm not talking about because there's no similarity between any of these people as wrestlers. And the comparison that Tony was making was he thinks that Ric Flair and Sting were the two top stars of WCW. And he's claiming that Jericho and Moxley are his two top stars. But when you think about it, Sting had never really, besides the brief run with Eddie Gilbert in Mid-South, where he was featured but not a main event guy, he had never been used on really any spot in any territory. He was only a couple of years in the business. And he gets over in WCW through the... Uh, through the the working with Ric Flair, who had that famous Clash of Champions match with him and 
was doing in-ring, on-the-job training with him every night. So Sting was the first real breakout star that Crockett Promotions, 1988, Crockett and TBS working together, homegrown star that they created. MJF is that guy on the other side in, in AEW. They don't have any similarities as wrestlers, but MJF is in the main event mix, and Sting was in the main event mix with other guys that were veterans. So then who would be Flair? I'm going to say it's neither Moxley nor Jericho. It's Punk. Because Punk... Like Flair, Flair at the time was an established superstar that had been a world champion and or a main event guy for, at the time Sting came along in WCW, uh, 12, 13 years, and was the guy who wrestled Sting in his most high-profile match to make him that new, young, homegrown star. So. That would put Punk in the Flair spot and MJF in the Sting spot. What star has Chris Jericho made to be in the Flair spot? What star has John Moxley made to be in the Flair spot? And why would either Jericho or Moxley be considered for the Sting spot since they're on the downhill slide of their careers rather than bursting onto the scene and going straight to the top like Sting did during that period of time. So his comparisons are all fucked up. Well, you're focusing on 88 through 90. I think, and again, I'm just guessing here, what Tony may be saying is that if you look at the entirety of WCW from 88 until 2001, Flair and Sting were this constant you could always return to, like a mantra. You could always go back to Flair versus Sting. Maybe that's how he sees, besides the age differences and the experience differences of Flair and Sting, that's how he maybe he sees Moxley and Jericho. Well, but there's another difference also. Flair and Sting at that point were neither one of them so old that, and so limited that every time that you fucking put them together in a match, it was worse than the one before. It was usually better than the one before. Every time you see Jericho and Moxley, it gets worse. I don't agree with the comparisons. Well, Jim, whether it's Crown Jewel or comparing Moxley and Jericho to Sting and Flair, Tony Khan has been trending. Every now and then you see it on Twitter. You see Tony Khan trending. And apparently, news to me until I heard about it from someone earlier today, there was another wrestling personality of the past who was trending on Twitter in the past few days. Not me either. For, For once. once. For once. <laughs> apparently... And he he trained it he he trained it he trended under his given name rather than the name that everybody knows him as Shitstain, but our friend Vince Russo trended on Twitter the other day from making a, again another ignorant remark, but this time it was a funny ignorant remark, and people got on there and started just I mean they put the boots to him better than I could it was almost universally negative. But what he was doing, apparently, on one of his recent programs, 
somewhere, an interview somehow, he was critiquing the wrestling matches. He actually said he was watching one of the girls' matches in the WWE, and of course, you know, they're using the the forearms instead of the punches. And he said, so what's the deal now? Nobody throws punches? When did they start punching with their forearms? Like 10 years ago, you fucking idiot. What do you think we've been talking about for years and years and years? Nobody can throw a punch anymore. They're all doing these little flipper forearms. Somehow they got it from Japan or something. However, the thing that was so hard for people to stomach, and especially for me, knowing the background of this individual, is the fact that here's this fucking Nimrod critiquing any matches at all. And I know some people are going to say, oh, well, Jim, you're just, you don't like him and you hate the guy and he used to write this and do that. Let me let y'all in on another little something about Mr. Russo. Even when he was writing this shit, he refused to have any responsibility whatsoever in producing not only any of the matches from bell to bell, but also even any live interviews or angles that started out talking that broke out into physicality. He would refuse, he would demand that another producer produce those. He said, well, no, you know, the wrestling's not my thing, bro. You know, so you guys are the professionals. So what this was, he was writing the television program, writing the format. He was coming up with the matches. Who was supposed to wrestle who? And he would even tell the producers and or agents how the match somehow was supposed to end with somebody being hit in the head with a sledgehammer or whatever. And then it would be up to you to figure out the rest of it. It's kind of like if somebody decided to write a murder mystery and got the first two chapters done and then handed it off to you and said, well, you do the rest of it and figure out who committed the crime. It's not my fucking mystery, motherfucker. The mystery is how you ever got in this position. So in TNA, especially, not only, again, would he not have anything to do with the production of the actual matches, anything involving physicality, because he knew he didn't know what he was talking about, but then on live interviews, the producer for whatever segment had to be in the production truck to tell the director what was supposed to be coming up. <clears throat> Make sure they didn't miss a camera shot if somebody was going to be running in out of nowhere or whatever the fuck. But old Shitstain would insist that the person who helped come up with, lay out, or mutually agree on with the talent, any physicality in that interview segment had to be in the truck also. Because he didn't want to be responsible for producing any of the physicality just because he's writing a wrestling program. So you know what I did, Brian? Since I was the lead wrestling producer, I'd be in the truck for three or four segments in a row. And then a live interview segment would come up and I'd tell him, oh, stop down. What's the matter? Need to go find Vinny Rue. This is his segment. Because that's what he'd do. He'd spend all fucking day 
wasting his time on the goddamn pre-tapes with the underneath guys that would go on forever and multiple takes because that was his dramatic Shakespearean fucking verbiage coming to life. And he especially liked to work with the mid-card guys because the top guys wouldn't say all the shit he wanted them to say and he didn't feel like they came out as good. So he'd spend all day on the pre-tapes and then he'd sit down with the guys with the live interviews and he'd tell them all the shit they were supposed to say. But when it came time to get in a fight, you'd, you'd have to go get the other producer. So I started stopping them down saying a live interview's coming up. Where's old Vinnie Rue? This is his baby. He needs to be in here. And you know where he'd be? He'd be sitting out in the crowd with the rest of the marks watching the fucking matches. And he'd have to send somebody in to get him and say, hey, this is your segment. And he'd have to come back to the truck and sit there like a fucking mute because there was nothing to say because it's an interview and they're just shooting it. But since he had to have a goddamn experienced professional in the truck every time that we went over his head with shit that was too complicated for him, I figured the least he could do is get up off his ass from sitting out in the crowd and come back in the truck when it was his fucking brilliance that was on display. But yeah, so now this guy's critiquing wrestling matches when he didn't want to have anything to do with them when he wrote the fucking show. So fuck you. How about that? All right. Well, I guess how about that? That is that. Yeah, that's that. He's now critiquing matches. We'll see what happens in the future with these amazing expert Can critiques. you imagine the first and only human being in the history of the wrestling business that was allowed to write a show and still had no idea how to fucking help two guys put a match together and refused to try to learn? I'm not too surprised, but let me ask you some more questions here, Jim. And by the way, that was, um, see, TA 2009. That was after he'd been in the business for 12 fucking years. Go ahead. Keep going. Our next question sent the corny drive through at gmail.com from Uzi Blanco. What? In Kingsport, Tennessee. Well, now, wait a minute. Now, Kingsport, Tennessee, one of my old stomping grounds, love the folks in East Tennessee. I've never heard of, of Uzi Blanco. All right. Well, I'm assuming that may be an assumed name, but here's his question. I'm writing to ask what you think about WWE using the vocals from the song White Rabbit from Jefferson Airplane <laughs> during commercial breaks as well as at house shows. What could it mean? Or... Who could they possibly be teasing using said music? Thank you both for your numerous videos. You helped me got through rough times and make the good times even better. Oh, come on, baby. Let the good times roll. Boom, 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 boom. Well, it's supposed to be Bray Wyatt, right? That's what everybody is, is uh, speculating and pontificating on. I mean, that's what a lot of people are saying, but we don't know for sure. Well, it's it's it fits the spookiness, the the supernatural aspect of what was going on. Have they played it actually on television or is it just in commercial breaks and, and the live events? I believe it's just that. Cause I haven't heard it. Cause it's cheaper. Right. If you put that you on can, TV, you can pay a lot yeah, for that. <laughs> you can, you can play music in arenas and you can play music during commercial breaks in arenas. And a lot of times the arenas have a, a blanket, license they don't have to record these things other times you have to record it and actually turn it in and pay the you know 
the fee or whatever. But in this case, you know, they haven't put it on television yet. It maybe it's just a, the, you know, a, the gra- grassroots tease kind of thing to get people talking, which is obviously working because they asked the question and they're talking about it. I mean, unless it's somebody that we don't know about to this point, it seems like it fits Bray Wyatt and or some shit that he'd come up with. And now this brings up an interesting thing because we said the last couple of goddamn years that we watched Bray Wyatt, holy shit, this is fucking rotten. They liked him. Fans liked him. He with the Wyatt family and the spooky lantern and the rocking chair, whatever. Okay. And then suddenly he became an invulnerable super villain. The fiend had gasoline poured on him and set himself or didn't set himself, but was set on fire and burned to a crisp, crispy critter of Canyon Creek and all this other Firefly, Funhouse, Supernatural, Hocus Pocus, lights going on and off, people teleporting, what the fuck? Get this shit away from me. But then he said, after he was let go, that it was Vince, didn't he? He was blaming Vince for a lot of the the creative. He wasn't happy with it. This wasn't what he wanted. So Yeah, we started hearing some stories, and I don't remember where they originally disseminated from, but the idea was that Bray Wyatt or people that were close to him were saying that not everything you saw that's being attributed to him were his ideas. So basically, if that is true, we may need to give this guy another chance. If he comes back and it's spooky and interesting and not silly and fake then, you know, well, just, well, that would be swell. Uh, So we'll see what happens, but it sounds like kind of the stuff that Bray Wyatt was doing, and then they got, who was that? Alexa Bliss was tainted and her mind taken over by him, and then she got his gimmick when he left and blah, blah, blah. I don't, you know, I'll keep an open mind. Maybe they will tweak this from the way it was presented under Vince to the way that it, wants to be presented under Triple H and that'll be better or more adult or just not as bad. So we'll see what happens. But if this is Bray, we'll give him another chance. I don't you will give him another chance. I don't know if I'm going to give him another chance. I wasn't a big fan of his whole Well, I thought you were going to be the reasonable one in this in this fucking between me and you. I I'm willing to give somebody a second chance. Why are you not? You know what bothers me? For all these years, especially with younger people. I don't feel like the Jefferson Airplane or Jefferson Starship or eventually Starship or Hot Tuna or any of the associated acts, Papa John Creech, I don't think anyone got the appreciation they deserved. The Doors got a lot of attention, Creedence Clearwater. As years went by, those Paul Cantner solo albums, Jefferson Airplane didn't get the acclaim that they once did when they first were released. White Rabbit released in 67, right? Now here we are in 2022. Yes. AEW is ruining Jane with Orange Cassidy. And now they're playing Orange, <laughs> then Orange. They're playing White Rabbit in the middle of WWE shows, which are causing people to try to find clues. My point is, this is such disrespect to the wonderful work of Jefferson Airplane and the iconic voice of Grace Slick. 
Well, and also, Grace Slick wasn't involved in Starship, was she? It was yes, she Jefferson. Was. Well, hold on. Jefferson Airplane, Jefferson Starship, and then didn't when she quit, wasn't that when they changed the Starship, or was she still around? People were in and out. Jefferson Airplane started up. Their original drummer was Skip Spence. He ended up leaving. He joined Moby Grape, which was one of those great bands that never sold any records, so everyone forgot about that. And then he did a whole bunch of acid and released this great soul album called Ore. Great to some people. Impossible to listen to to other people. <laughs> They got their core band together by 67, the core bands together. That band would stay together for a few years. And then people would come in and out. I mentioned Papa John Creech. He all of a sudden starts playing with the band. Yorma Kalkinen, the lead guitarist, and Jack Cassidy, his best friend and bass player, decide they want to go speed skiing, so they leave Jefferson Airplane. That's when Jefferson Airplane kind of starts becoming Jefferson Starship. Originally, it was Paul Kantner, Grace Slick, various other people. Mid-70s, Marty Ballin, who hated everyone. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. He didn't get along with Grace Slick. He comes back. They get their biggest hit ever with Miracles. Then eventually he leaves and gets fed up again. Eventually, Paul Kantner stays and Grace leaves. And then she comes back, I believe, and he leaves. And by the time you get to the mid-80s and we built this city and the song from Mannequin, it's Grace Slick, but she's the only original member. She wasn't even an original member. She was the second female vocalist, but the only person from the 60s still associated with the band. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard what it would sound like if Tony Khan did a media scrum about Jefferson Airplane. Do you think, did everybody take notes? There's going to be a quiz later on. All right, well, let's get some more what, what was What was the one guy that came in and left Inka Dinka Do? What? What was his name? What are you talking about? That fucking guy what? you said, one name, it sounded like... Papa John Creech? No! Inka, the Yorma, other guy. Yorma Kalkinen? Yeah, that guy, Inka Dinka Doo. Oh, come on. He's one of the great guitarists of rock and roll. Hot Indy? Tuna? Did you ever listen yeah. to Hot Tuna? Indy Calculin. No, I've, I've, I'll tell you what, Hot Tuna gives me bad gas. Oh, boy. I can clear out a fucking room with one fart after a hot dish of tuna. All right. Well, on that topic, let's get to our next question, Jim. This one was sent to Corny Drive Through at gmail.com from Carlos in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Who picked up and banged more chicks in the 80s? The Rock and Roll Express or the Midnight Express? <laughs> well, I hate to put my own boys in second place, but I mean, that's not a fair question. I mean, there, there were... I don't know if Led Zeppelin potentially approached the number of willing females that Ricky and Robert... Uh, congregated with during their time in the 80s but no you could say rock and roll express and anybody in wrestling or in life and there's no comparison stan lane as an individual stan did very well but the rock and roll sheer volume and turnover was impeccable and glorious to behold where stan would stan had standards and stan would find a great work of art that he wanted to spend time savoring and studying and making sure that he had gotten all of the enjoyment and edification out of that particular piece of art he could. Whereas Ricky and Robert were out there reading the fucking comic strips and they went from panel to panel to panel in a twinkling of an eye. And you would not believe the, the volume or repetition that was it was it was it was it was incredible all right 
I don't know <laughs> if I should say something. I well, there there was a a particular record that Robert Gibson set one night in Little Rock, Arkansas, that is just. It's it, it's like if Michael Jordan just came into a pickup basketball game and said, I'm going to shoot 60 free throws in a row and nail every single one of them. He'd have been so far out above everybody else that it wouldn't even have been a contest. This was an amazing record that Robert Gibson set. I won't repeat it here. <laughs> I'm dying to know what this is. <laughs> I may repeat it off air <laughs> to you, but it had to do with how many... Young ladies did a particular thing to a particular thing in the course of one evening well, in Little Rock, Arkansas. Well, speaking of which, somewhat related, yes or no, did Ricky and Robert walk in on Jimmy Valiant under a glass table while a woman was shitting on it? it well, and it, you can't make Yes me, or no. You, well, no, <laughs> you can't make me make a declarative statement because only people who were actually there at the time would be able to say yay or nay and it be entered into evidence in court. I will say this. I heard about it a bunch of times on the internet in the last 20 years, but I never heard about it concurrently at the time that it would have happened, and you better believe that that I would have heard about. So, and unless Klondike Bill was involved, I di I discount the whole thing. Because that was actually a takeoff on an old Klondike Bill story that he actually legitimately admitted to and was involved in. And you were... You know Klondike Bill for years was the NWA World Pussy Eating Champion. I know he declared And he himself. had an undefeated record against hotel maids. See, that back in the old days in the Carolinas in the 60s, they didn't stay at the big Holiday Inn Express chain or whatever. They stayed at the local motels, and the the crop of motel maids at that point was no match for the fucking boys. All right. Well, congratulations, Klondike Bill, on your title win. But let's get another question here, Jim. He was proud of it. He used to brag about it for many years. I don't know anyone who heard about it who didn't hear about it from Klondike Bill, so I'm not sure anyone else was talking Everybody about it. Everybody heard about it from Klondike Bill. Jim, this next one was sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Joe Ed Holt. I'm reading hardcore history about the history of ECW. Scott Levy claims that he pitched the Raven character first to Jim for Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and that Jim led him along without ever telling him no. Does Jim remember this? <laughs> would he have ever considered bringing in the Raven character? And on a similar line, were there any ECW wrestlers you would have booked? Okay, first, does Jim remember this? I will say a word that I couldn't say a minute ago. No. <laughs> I don't remember. Raven, at the time that I first went to the WWF was Scotty Polo, right? He was a Johnny manager. Polo. Johnny Polo. I'm sorry. It was Scotty Flamingo and then Johnny Polo. And Scotty Flamingo had been his wrestling gimmick in Memphis and a few other places and he flamboyant outfit and a hat and kind of a male stripper kind of thing. And then he had been made Johnny Polo in the WWF because they made him a manager 
And golly, he appeared to be a rich kid manager carrying a polo mallet. I don't know where they could have gotten that from. But when I got there, you know, I mean, we we talked on numerous occasions. And Scotty is the kind of guy that will go into detail about ideas he has or whatever. But I don't remember unless... Because here's the thing. I never got the fucking Raven thing anyway. And Raven was perfect for ECW because it was the 90s grunge. You can probably call tons more references to 90s pop culture than I can, but it was 90s grunge and all the young people were miserable and hated the world and themselves and everybody in it and that whole fucking thing. And that was, and for ECW, that was perfect. I've said a million times, I've, it's not about Scotty's work, but just the whole Raven gimmick thing. Not only could we not have done much of that shit that they did on television in Tennessee, or we'd have got kicked off the air, but he was having his, you know, lesbian fucking cohorts involved in three ways and all kinds of shit, whatever the fuck was going on. But also, nobody would have understood it because my audience wasn't a bunch of young, miserable people dressed in black listening to grunge. It was fucking hillbillies and rednecks and regular people in East Tennessee. So I'm not saying he never pitched it to me. He may have, because Scotty can get on a roll, and sometimes, you know, you don't want to be particularly rude but just yeah 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 well you got something there but i never intended to lead him on that he was going to get fucking work in knoxville he quit the wwf because he wanted to go back to wrestling instead of being a manager and that took balls and and you know kudos to him for that but he debuted as Raven at the beginning of 95, and you saw him in November at the Dennis Caruso NWA tournament before he was Raven. So it would have been around that period of time. That well, no, I was I was seeing him in the WWF before that. But after he left, I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. But, I, you know, oh, especially if he was pitching something at, at one of Dennis's shows when I'm running around trying to do other shows, I'm like, yeah, Scott, that'd be great, whatever. You know, I, I mean, I was trying to be polite, maybe. It's left my mind. I don't know. But there was never... And again, I'm not knocking him, but it didn't fit what we were doing in Smoky Mountain. And, you know, there was never, and also, fuck, I'm going to ask the guy to move from Philadelphia to Knoxville. He could probably have made more money working Northeast Independence and staying home, just same way as the guys that lived in Nashville didn't want to get booked in Philadelphia because that's fucking. 600 miles or 700 miles or whatever it is. And the the money wasn't there at that point in anybody's company. So, so no, this, this was not a thing that was ever going to happen. If Scott Levy Raven sat there and pitched the Raven concept to you, do you think about the idea, even though at that time you're running Smoky Mountain, WWE or WWF is a whole separate thing, but there is a crossover audience who do see some, some do see both. But whether it's him or someone else, is it hard for you to sit there and hear a pitch from someone who's talking about reinventing themselves when it worked out for him well, but he was on TV, like you said, he was Johnny Polo, a manager, a feckless manager for a while. <laughs> yeah. And, and then all of a sudden he's, you know, the sullen grunge rocker. It worked. On paper, it shouldn't have. 
Is it hard to sit there and hear pitches from guys who have had one gimmick and want to just reinvent themselves? Well, yes and no. If it's a guy you want to use and you're interested in and you've got an idea or are willing to listen to his ideas because you know there's something there, then yes, you want to get into it and go back and forth and what can we do and how can we, you know, fix this up? How have you been portrayed before? How can we put a Band-Aid on that? If some guy just at random is saying, ah, I got this great idea for a gimmick and you yeah, I mean, you know, if you're a friend of his and you're just sitting bullshitting, you're going to listen to it and maybe kick some stuff in. But if it's just, if he's pitching you and you're a booker and you're like, I ain't got a spot, don't see it right now, financially probably ain't going to work, then you're, it's going in one ear and out the other. It just depends on what the situation is. With Tracy Smothers, there I wanted to be involved and it was simple. Just, they had made him a young pistol from Wyoming in WCW. And all we had to do was just try to figure out a way to babyface him by and let him tell people, hey, I didn't want to be involved in all this. I'm a good old boy from Springfield, Tennessee. Y'all know me. And I was under contract and had to do what I had to do. But now I'm just going to be me. And that's how, what we, that, that's how we revamped his gimmick by taking the fucking gimmick away from him and just making him Tracy Smothers, the wild-eyed Southern boy that he'd always been. Other times, you know, you've got to figure out a way to give a guy a new look or whatever. But if it doesn't, if it doesn't fit what you're going for, there's plenty of actors. If, but if you're a Hollywood studio or a producer, you don't want to hire every goddamn actor that exists just because they can act. You want people that look right in the fucking movie. All right. Well, Jim, you can watch a movie <laughs> or a TV show. Or you can try to stumble around and come up with a segue. Or a website from around the world. <laughs> if you only knew a reliable and a good source to access an ExpressVPN. Well, you know, here's the problem, Brian. You know, we've talked about this before. And with these new highfalutin internet service providers, you don't know what's going on. You don't know who they're talking to, dealing with. And also with these hackers, you got these hackers now that know all this computer mumbo jumbo and they can just pick your computer like they're picking your pocket. But going online, according to this publicity material, going online Without ExpressVPN is like leaving your kids with the nearest stranger while using the restroom. Most of the time, it's probably fine. But every once in a while, when you come out of that bathroom, you find that that stranger has sold your children to no, a foreign government oh. or criminals. And, you know, it's the same thing with your internet service provider and these hackers. It's not the same thing. I don't know what you're talking about, but... Well, it's because children I mean, will be you, safe. You, no, you know, you know as well as I do. Because I mean, what you used to have six kids, right? And you're down to four because those that's, times you had to piss at the at the baseball game. That's not true. We've always had the same amount of kids. Well, most of the time it's probably fine, but you never really know who you're trusting. You don't want to risk it. That's why you need to be using ExpressVPN. We've also talked about this on the program before. Your internet service providers, you've had it happen to you countless times. A couple of them come to your home one morning to fix some stuff that's going wrong, and when they leave, 
Only one of them gets in the truck and leaves. And you've been wondering to yourself, where is this other fucking guy? Well, come to find out, he secreted himself in your home, inside the walls, so he can keep track of, of your browser history and the way that you use your internet. And as well, these hackers, well, they're just everywhere now. And sometimes they even surface above ground. And that way you can play whack-a-mole with them, but you can't ever actually eliminate them entirely. That's why that ExpressVPN, what they do is they create a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that hackers can't steal your data. At one end of that tunnel, they have secreted landmines. So when the hackers that live underground get into that tunnel and try to get into your information, they come to the end of the tunnel, they get blown up. What? No, what are you talking about? Well, ExpressVPN, they create a secure encrypted tunnel. Well, they've got to they've wire it. They've got to, you know, set the explosives because that way when the hackers that live underground get into that tunnel and try to tunnel all the way through to your uh, information, they'll get blown up. You know, hackers make serious cash selling personal information on the dark web. They Your browser history, they can sell it to criminals. They can sell it to foreign governments. They can sell it to your wife. And imagine then what would happen. ExpressVPN has made it easier than ever to keep your information away from the prying eyes of your significant other. Just fire up the app. Click one button and you're instantly protected. As a matter of fact, they will send a security force to your home to stand watch. Now, don't, don't bother them while they're on duty. They'll be in a brown Ford LTD with Missouri plates, but they'll be sitting outside your house. There is no security force. No one will be outside of your house. This is the entertainment portion of the spot here. Of course, ExpressVPN is a serious company, and none of this will be taking place. Well, let me ask you some serious questions. Do you want your wife to know your browser history as well as the foreign governments and the criminals that may be trying to steal your identity? I don't mind if my wife sees my browser history. I got well, you'd be now. the only one. Now, the foreign governments, that I may be worried about. Well, and your wife will see plenty of foreign governments. <laughs> what? Because they're all going to be trying to sell her your browser history. <laughs> Every single one of from Moldavia, Moldova, God Mo damn it. Moldavia and, and Monrovia, they're all going to be trying to get money out of your wife to sell her your browser history so she can find out all the different things she needs to be mad about. But ExpressVPN, folks, will keep you away from the hackers, keep you away from the criminals, keep you away from the foreign governments, and most importantly, keep you away from your wife. And if you go right now, to expressvpn.com slash jce, you'll get protected at the click of a button and a fire up of an app, and you'll get three extra months for free. Three extra months that nobody will be able to put you in prison because you've you've gone to an illicit website that has now trapped your identity there forever. Expressvpn.com slash jce. Get secure right now and get three extra months for free. And get that fucking guy out of your walls. There's no one in your wall, and you don't have too much to worry about, but ExpressVPN is a fine service that you should check out and see if it could do wonders for you. 
Do you hear the beating and banging? Now there's somebody in my wall trying to get out. I didn't hear it, no. Well, you should be over here. You'd hear it better. All right. Well, ExpressVPN, and you can hear... You can't hear anything. It's a site service that has nothing to do with hearing, but ExpressVPN. It has nothing to do with hearing. You Then, therefore, you can be deaf and still avail yourself of this fine service. That's right. ExpressVPN. But, Jim, let's get a few more questions before we get out of here. This one was sent to CourtneyDriveThru at gmail.com from David in Miami. What was that? What? I heard. Oh, it's my pen. Oh. I put my top on my pen. All right. Well, here's the question from David in Miami. You guys have talked on the show about how Raw is way too long because of the third hour, which I've been saying for years. Burdensome. But after Triple H took over creative, a video started resurfacing about an interview he did a while back on Stone Cold's podcast where he said he'd love for Raw to go back to being two hours instead of three. Obviously, it's not something he can just outright change because of the logistics and the network that's tied to the third hour. But what do you think about Triple H's comments? Do you think he still feels that way now that he's in charge? And if so, how would he even go about trying to get it back to two hours? Well, he he does still feel the same way, and he wouldn't. Because... <laughs> Everybody knows three hours is too long, but they're getting paid for three hours. So to go back to two hours, he would have to call them up and say, hey, don't send us $30 million out of that money or whatever the fuck you're going to send us because we're only going to do a two-hour show instead of three. No. Everybody's known since the start that it was too long, except for the TV network that wants it because... What's USA going to put from 10 to 11 or from 8 to, to 9 or if they took the front hour off or the back hour, whatever, what are they going to put in that slot that consistently week in and week out gets the same numbers as even a boring raw program? They can't just twinkle their nose like Samantha Stevens or wave their magic wand in the air and come up with one and to produce that program would cost probably more than they're paying the WWE for another hour of a program they're already doing. So just because he knows that it sucks doesn't mean he's ever going to try to change it because that would be counterproductive to the bottom line and the the money and <laughs> if they if they stop taking money from the TV networks they're going to have to start selling tickets and pay-per-views again. And Lord knows they don't want to be in that position. So, yeah, more TV money, but make it four hours. It'll suck worse, but they'll make more money on it. And you've talked about in the past, you would do something different if the network would allow it with one of those hours to mix things up, right? Well, yeah. And I mean, again, at this point now, they got so many other fucking problems. If if Raw was a two-hour show, it still wouldn't be any good because they've still got a small cast of characters that they're exposing, a dearth of really over guys at the top. They've established with the people that the matches are meaningless and you ought to be popping on the entrances and the long, overly scripted promos, which there's another problem. All the promos are long and overly scripted. 
And there's no feeling of not only immediacy where I have to watch shit because it goes on for fucking ever. It's not like the Attitude Era where Austin's going to come out, wreak havoc, and be gone in a minute and a half. The same people you see come out are going to be on the screen in another 25 minutes. So if it was two hours, it wouldn't be good. They need talent that's over doing shit that people can buy into as violent and with a good helping of fucking hatred amongst some of the fucking talent and animosity. So you really think they want to fucking gouge each other's eyeballs out as well as finding guys that can talk without being told what to say. All those things. So the length of the program you know, if it was shorter, it's it it would it would get them less revenue, and it would still be kind of boring because they've just whitewashed this whole thing until it's all boring. And now I hear they're going to have war games, uh, but at the same time, not only are they going to have war games and no blood because Triple H had just said he doesn't like the blood, it's irresponsible in today's environment. But on the same show, they're going to have a women and men's war games. A women's war games is ridiculous. The, the, the war games was the ultimate display of violence that could be perpetrated between 10 guys in a double ring with a double cage to settle a fucking issue between the biggest stars in all of wrestling. And then on a show, they're going to have two of them. And one's going to be the guys. And of course, the girls are going to go on first. So a girls' war games with any girls, much less the girls they got, is fucking phony and silly and stupid and rotten because if it was real, they wouldn't last 15 seconds before they were all ripped limb from limb in a fucking dangerous cage like that. And all that a women's war games does in front of a men's war games is take the fucking bloom off the rose of the men's war games that people might want to see. But if there's no blood in a fucking men's war games inside a steel cage and an ultimate blow off match, then you've just shit the bed anyway. So there's, I don't see how they're, ever going to get this shit back on track now that I've just gone over all those various fucking things that are wrong. What do you think? No, Ross screwed. Ross screwed. As long as it's three hours and it's not going to ever change from that unless the network says no, it's screwed. It's not going to be a good program. And what about the war games while we're at it? They figured out a way to bury the fucking war games, have two of them on the same show and put the girls in the first one. Just enough to take the edge off the second. I think it's stupid to do that. I don't like the way the WWE does their war games. I haven't liked the AEW ones, but at least they kind of stay a little bit more with the actual war games rules, even though they can't call themselves war games. I have this quote here from Triple H that you just referenced, so let's talk about this because a lot of the listeners may not be aware of it. From an interview on the Ringer podcast about blood. The world has changed. The world has evolved. I don't think it's necessary. If we have talent that gets cut, usually you see them roll out and they'll get looked at to make sure there's nothing dangerous. <laughs> I'm just of the opinion right now, given the state of the world and the pandemic, and at the end of the day, 
what we do is dangerous enough without intentionally making it more dangerous. Yes, <laughs> we did. Uh, and it says here in parentheses, bleed. We did bleed for a long period of time, but we've changed that practice and it's irresponsible to go back. Look, when you have guys and women performing at the highest of levels, I feel like I spend more time talking them out of stuff than I do talking them into something. I've done this for years, and as you're sitting back there behind the TV monitor, watching this go down, you're holding your breath the whole show. I feel like there's always a risk-to-reward ratio. It is so big that people are going to walk away from this with that vision implanted in their mind, and they're never going to forget it. Because if you are risking your health and your longevity and your profession over that spot, over that what? moment, what? it needs to be worth it. So I talk people out of doing these things because sometimes I'm like, look, be honest. It's just a spot. So there's some. Well, I agree with some of that, but he's he's started answering one question and gone into answering another one. Triple H knows wrestling. He's been a wrestling fan. He's been in the business a long time. So he knows that what he was saying about blood is caca. He has to say that because they're a publicly traded company and they're not going to be allowed to do that. And he has to act like it's their choice because it's something you shouldn't do. He knows as well as anybody else who's been in the wrestling business any amount of time knows that no, that's the last thing you want to say is we're never going to have blood. Because blood is called for in certain circumstances. Blood is necessary in certain circumstances. Blood will kick something up to the next level or uh, sell you some tickets in certain circumstances. Not when it's overdone or when it's done by the wrong people or it's done in such a manner that you can tell how it's being done and it's not real and a, a byproduct of the match or the fight that's when it's detrimental but when it's in a main event position and an angle or a, a blow-off match or whatever the case yes it's not only necessary sometimes as in the case of a war games or a cage match blow-off it's almost required but you need to have people that can do it and do it con convincingly instead of out in the open and fucking know what they're doing. And then it, yes, it adds. But again, you know, that will, I mean, there's nothing phonier or worse or in worse taste. I mean, you can talk about silly phony wrestling or the comedy bullshit, but there's nothing worse than the garbage deathmatch wrestlers because they are obviously right out in front of everybody cooperating with each other to really legitimately bust and or slice each other open. I can't think of a stupider, more unsavory, repugnant fucking act to do. I can't imagine why anybody, anytime it's done on television, they're not automatically kicked off or whatever. I can't imagine the crowd of mutants that goes and pays money to see these fucking fat, bald, sloppy, tattooed fuckwits that work at a goddamn gas station rip each other up with broken glass and barbed wire. No talent, no skill, no art. So yes, blood of the wrong kind in the wrong place done by the wrong people 
is the absolute worst thing in wrestling right now. But blood done by the right people in the right circumstances is indispensable in wrestling. And that's another reason why that it looks so fucking soft and pussy-ish today because everybody's concentrating on doing fucking round-off cartwheels instead of figuring out how to get comfortable with the blade. So, if Triple H really wanted to talk people out of doing dangerous shit that's detrimental to their career and that they shouldn't have happening on television, then I would suggest immediately make two rules. Number one, every fucking show that we do from now on, one guy is going to bleed. And two, not a single solitary son of a bitch of y'all is allowed to go through another fucking table. Because if you really wanted to fucking protect people's health and well-being, then you would be eliminating the bumps through the tables, whether on the floor or in the ring, or the goddamn ridiculous, repetitive, over-and-over over Paul Bunyan shots with the chair. One good shot with a chair over the head in a working fashion, guy goes down, don't get hit again. Or he can be there on his fucking hands and knees and let somebody rearrange his spinal column with 12 of them. Fuck. So you ask me, hey, Cornette, you want to come off the top rope and go through that table or you want to get some fucking juice? Give me the goddamn blade. I'm not going to fucking hurt myself. I'm not going to cripple myself. Furniture don't work. But if you know how to use a blade, it does. I end my statement. All right. Well, let's continue with another. Is there, you know, and there's still, there's a lot of people that would think that, oh my God, he's cutting himself with a razor blade. That's horrible. He could die and it could be fucking forever maimed or whatever. No, try taking a goddamn superplex off top rope through the fucking table onto the goddamn concrete floor with three flying Mexicans and a fucking zebra landing on top of you. And, and then tell me what's more dangerous. Give me the fucking blade every time. I was not a big juice getter, but having a choice of one or the other, I'll pick the fucking juice. Jim, our next question sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Ed in the UK. Long time listener, but I don't think I've heard Jim explain what he means by outlaw. <laughs> it seems to be used in a few ways. But one seems to be a legitimate description of a style of promotion. Jim has described the Pafo ICW as an outlaw promotion, but without Venom. And he's also said, a wrestler looks outlaw. This is outlaw mud show bullshit. So what actually is an outlaw promotion? What laws do they operate outside of? <laughs> 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 well, um, for the newer listeners, and I mean, this, it used to be, Nobody in wrestling now uses the same terminology as they did for a hundred years. So probably if you ask today's wrestlers, they don't, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. But an outlaw promotion was whenever there was a promotional war, there were two competing promotions in the same territory. One of them would be affiliated with the NWA or be the incumbent promotion in that area. And the other one would be an upstart involving uh, outlaw wrestlers. It's an outlaw promotion. The opposition was always the outlaws. 
They were not legitimate. They were not established. They were not according to Hoyle. And you had sometimes a an outlaw promotion that did have talent and lasted a while, technically. Um, when Bruiser went to run Detroit against the Sheik, Bruiser was the outlaw promotion, but they still had Dick the Bruiser and the Blackjacks and Bobby Heenan and blah, blah, blah. Or with the Poffos, there was a few names, and then it went drastically downhill from there. But whatever the case, an outlaw promotion is generally run on a shoestring. They don't have a big budget. The talent is not the big names that you might see on the cover of the magazines in the day or that you've seen on big-time television. Everything's done a little cheaper. Nobody's quite as professional at their job. And depending on how outlaw you get, it can go all the way down to six guys that figured out somebody to buy tights and boots from or maybe even just wore tennis shoes and street fucking clothes and built them a ring in their backyard and they sell tickets to 22 people to come and watch them play wrestler and that is an outlaw mud show. Because the ring's out in the backyard in the mud and all this talent is outlaw. And... I mean, it used to be a, a pattern of a figure of speech in wrestling when, you know, a guy would come in with a new jacket or a new pair of boots or a new gimmick that the booker had given him or something. And other guys are talking about it and they're like, boy, that, that looks outlaw to me. Or just a, a low budget anything of fucking little gas station on the side of the road in some podunk town. It looks like shit. Boy, that's an outlaw gas station if I ever saw one. It was cheap shit, untalented, untrained people, hey kids, let's put on a show type of thing. You know, did I mention the shoestring budget and the complete lack of professionalism of everybody involved? That's outlaw. And guys used to say if something looked off kilter and it didn't just apply to wrestling. That's some kind of fucking outlaw suitcase you got going on there, George, or whatever. It's just, it was a derogatory term for cheap, low-budget, pretend bullshit. Well, perhaps you're a promoter and you have this outlaw coming into your territory causing problems and you need to do something, and you don't know any vigilantes, you may want to sue. Ha ha ha! Well, in that case, and I got a story about this, so go ahead and play the music and let's tell it. You know, folks, the one man who's not an outlaw in the world of the legal profession is, of course, our friend Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. He's no outlaw. He's the, the standard bearer in his field. He's on top, and everybody else is that low-budget knucklehead trying to scramble and fight to get ahead. But Stephen P. New's on the top of the mountain, and boom, he handles things just like that. And, of course, we've talked about how he can handle you and your situation if you've been wrongfully terminated, if you've been injured through negligence, 
or if you've been damaged in some way or your family members or your social circle by uh, very evil people doing greedy and avaricious things, well, he can take care of you, but he can do the little stuff too because, Brian, I've, I'll give you the fill-in on this at the same time as I give the, the folks out there. Remember on our last program when we talked about NXT, I was very uncomplimentary, and so were you as a matter of fact, on the debut of one of the new talents over there in NXT, some guy that calls himself the super diva, Quincy Elliott. And we were not very complimentary because, well, as we mentioned, it was an insult to everyone since the days of the original Greek Olympics that this guy would ever be called or portrayed as a professional athlete. His man boobs looked like two possums fighting in a pillowcase. And as we mentioned, he did look like the irresponsible love child of Mabel and Goldust. But apparently <laughs> this guy... Hold on irresponsible love child <laughs> irresponsible love child yeah just willy-nilly no responsibility and apparently this guy heard our take on his attempt to perform as a professional wrestler and was miffed by it but you know what he did brian you know what the gutless wonder the no good gum bump and sack of snake feces you know what he did he didn't have the guts and but he's got plenty of room for guts, but that must be as empty as an airplane hanger inside there because he don't have any in him. He didn't have the guts. He didn't have the perspicacity, the intestinal fortitude, or even the testicular fortitude. And I'm sure he's a testicular expert. He's probably he's probably handled many testicles. But he didn't have any of that to come back and joust with the guy or guys, in your case, that had originally made these comments and originally had made this unfavorable review, he thought he was going to be a little bit of smartass, but not actually come out with his fists up fighting. Because the other day, it was about two days ago, Stacy comes in the room with her phone in her hand and she says, who the fuck is this and how did I get involved in this? I said, what are you talking about? This guy, old Quincy Elliott there, he had changed his profile picture on Twitter and was using a picture of Stacy and also had taken a picture that she tweeted for our, my birthday of us in a, a fun moment on one of our vacations, putting our arms around each other, and it put his ugly face over mine. And somehow this is what he thinks is going to just drive me insane to get even for my completely honest review of his lack of talent. But I didn't see why that my wife should be involved in this since she didn't make any comments. I mean, who are you going to go after next there, Quincy? Going to go after Harley Quinn, try to bully my puppy dog because you're too scared and you're too gutless and your little shriveled up dick doesn't give you the testosterone? to fucking come after me? I think old Quincy wants to be famous, I'm thinking. He wants to do that. So what I did was, Brian, I called up Stephen P. New. And I said, Stephen, I said, we got a case here of this guy who somehow, he maybe he won a contest, maybe he was the fourth caller to the NXT offices and won him a developmental contract, but he's so new and he's so green at this 
that he doesn't even have the blue check mark on Twitter yet, and he obviously does not know that there is a short list of people with whom that the underneath talent is not supposed to engage because things can go bad quickly. I said, so Stephen, can you let Mr. Elliot here, as well as the NXT office and everybody else know that they need to be ceasing and desisting the dissemination of pictures of the Cornette family and that this guy might ought to try to stay up late at night and think of some things to say to me, try to protect himself if he has an issue with what I'm saying instead of harassing my wife or my dog. And I'll have you know that within 30 minutes, not only was that offending profile picture changed, the offending tweet taken down, but when Stacy tweeted a new profile picture of herself saying it's good to be the queen with a little crown on her head, while old Quincy Elliott ended up liking that tweet <laughs> because he didn't want somebody down at NXT to call him in the office one day and say, are you out of your ever-loving rabbit-ass fucking mind? You, you, professionals have tried this and failed in the past, and you are attempting to verbally joust with Cornette? Get the fuck away from here. So... <laughs> Was that Dusty? No, well, that's whoever it was at NXT. So anyway, so Quincy, and, and I promise you, I won't call my lawyer if you want to talk to me or about me. Just leave the family members out of it. But you're more than welcome. I can make you famous, son, in ways that you have never dreamed of and probably would not enjoy when they happen. So I gave my review of your attempt to wrestle. And it's not my fault that you went out on television looking like a punctured truck stop novelty condom flapping in the breeze. So if you want to continue this, we can. But I'm not talking about your family if you have any. Personally, I think he was possibly mixed up in a test tube. But if you want to go back and forth, we can continue this. And I'll make you curse your mother for the day that she hatched you, if you're not careful. But that's what Stephen P. New can do for folks. Boom! Just the twinkling of an eye. So if you've got a tweet you want to have taken down, or if you've got a major, greedy, avaricious corporation that you want taken down, it don't take him long. Stephen P. New, newlawoffice.com. 888-692-8084 because when he walks into court and he pleads your case and then the judge turns to the other attorney, you know what the judge is going to say to that attorney? Get the fuck out of here. Stephen P. New. Stephen P. New. All right, Jim. Well, a couple more questions and let's get out of here. We've been going for a while here. You mean get the fuck out of here? We're going to get the fuck out of here. Listen, Jim, this next question was sent to Cordy Drive through at gmail.com from CJ in Virginia. What if Vince McMahon Sr. was healthy and didn't sell to Vince Jr. and continued to own and operate the WWF through the 1980s? With cable TV becoming bigger, would they still be the territory that grows nationally? Or would more territories be able to thrive with national cable TV? 
We kind of talked about this on a program a couple of weeks ago. We said, what if the WWF, what if WrestleMania had bombed? The WWF wouldn't have gone out of business as they like to claim because it sounds better. They were still the biggest territory in the country in terms of major cities in one geographic location. And they had that incredible cash flow because all the towns were doing well. So if Vince Sr. hadn't got sick and hadn't sold to to his son, he would have still been running the most profitable, most lucrative uh, wrestling territory in the United States. Now, also because that territory was based in, or their biggest town was, was New York, they would have had the, you know, the media advantage like they did, you know, over the other territories. With National Cable, I I don't, Vince Sr. wouldn't have wanted to steal all the talent, dismantle everybody else's territory, turn the whole thing into Disney on ice like Vince Jr. did. So there would have been other promotions. Obviously, if Vince hadn't, you know, been fucking with the Georgia company, Depending on what happened with Ole and Barnett, it still would have it would have either been Georgia Championship Wrestling or Crockett that ended up with the TBS time slot. Maybe Watts just because he got in the you know into the middle of the mix there you know during '85, but some other promotion, not Vince, would have had TBS. Vince would have had USA because he had it it preexisted. I mean, you know, would, would would somebody in Chicago, would Vern probably have gotten WOR? But then the, the war of attrition would have started because Vern Gagne, the AWA television show, even though he had at most times great talent in the territory, television show was boring as fuck and was the shits, except for the interviews with, you know, all the great talkers. But he didn't book... Main event matches on TV, exciting angles on TV. It was still the 50s style presentation, which worked when the Midwest was insulated from cable. Honestly, depending on what had happened and and how quickly the WWF expanded, if they had stayed the WWF, a Northeastern territory, instead of expanding as a national promotion, cable would have actually hurt them rather than help them once that people started seeing TBS. Because when they started seeing the NWA shows and the, you know, the flares and the fucking dusties and the, you know, all of the talent that the NWA sent to Atlanta TV on a regular basis from Florida and the Georgia Territory, and places out west. It was so much better than the old WWF television. They never... The WWF did the same thing Vern did, but just in the Northeast. They never did really heavy angles on TV. They didn't do a lot of main event matches. It was boring squash matches and interviews with the stars, but the talent that they had on top in the WWF was never as good, the matches weren't as good or as important as Southern wrestling because, as we've talked about so many times, Vince Sr.'s thing was big monsters, feed them to the fucking babyface champion, 
sell the sizzle, not steak, and get in and out on those hard rings that were built for Andre and Bundy. And the any promotion from Crockett, Memphis, Mid-South, it's not even a taste factor. It's empirical evidence. The matches in those territories were always better. The TVs were always more exciting. And the, the, you know, the whole fucking gist of the thing was always more realistic in those promotions than it was in the Northeast, which was kind of flat-footed punch-and-kick kind of stuff. So I think that to a roundabout way to get there, if the WWF had waited significantly longer to expand or to get on cable until the whatever Southern promotion, Crockett or Georgia or Watts got on TBS and TBS was widespread in the Northeast, then people would have been looking going, holy shit, that wrestling we've never seen before is a whole lot better than the shit we've been watching because that was the same response we had in reverse. Remember when me and Weasel saw our first Madison Square Garden show? We're like, fuck, that's all? Every week at the Louisville Gardens was better. That's why the biggest what if is still if Ted Turner had gone through with what he promised Bill Watts and gone into business yeah. and partner with Bill Watts because then you would have someone you would have had someone against Vince and Bill Watts who knew how to fight, who loved the fight, who was looking to compete and was going to take it head on, and Ted Turner who had the money and the connections. Vince wouldn't have been able to fuck around on pay per view at the beginning like he did. Right. And that would have been real interesting. But, but I mean, you know, and it's, it's always, it comes down to also what you, you know, grew up with and were accustomed to and were educated to. That's because the old time promoters knew how to educate their fans. They presented and educated them to the style of wrestling that they were most adept at presenting with the talent that was, you know, most trustworthy to them or beholden to them or whatever. But, when you sat and looked at it in any, you know, fair judicious way, no, that's why, you know, Patterson and Slaughter, the alley fight match was listed as one of the great matches in the history of the WWF. And Weasel Dooley, who was watching five promotions every week, gave it fucking three and a half stars or whatever. It was great for the WWF for what they did at the time, but it was not what, Pat Patterson would have done with Ray Stevens in San Francisco or what Sergeant Slaughter would have done with fucking somebody else in Georgia or whatever, because they didn't concentrate on having great matches and exciting angles to get people to come back every week. They already had them every month in the big buildings with the bland TV. They didn't want to. And, and that truthfully, that's an example of, of, not having to go farther than you have to. Because a lot of people also made the point to me when I first got into business that that was right after Ole Anderson had just opened up in Ohio when the Sheik had gone under and had stopped running for a couple years. And then Columbus, Ohio was one of the first cities in the country with nearly full cable coverage, got TBS. They go up there. They start drawing these huge crowds like Crockett did in Cincinnati. It had been three, four, five years since most of those people had seen live wrestling. 
But within three or four shows in Columbus, some of the guys that were there said they started doing run-ins. It was way too early for that. The people were still popping on headlocks, right? They'd just seen wrestling come back in a dark territory, and they were popping on simple shit. It was what they used to call a virgin crowd. But Ole and whoever was booking for him at the time or whatever, they were trying to program Columbus like all their other towns that they'd been running all those years. And so they're doing run-ins, and they're doing DQs, and they're doing kabuki finishes. And it, it they ran off and left the people. They started giving them the kind of program they should have given them two or three years in, in the first six months. It wasn't time for all the DQs, wasn't time for all the run-ins. The simple, basic shit was still drawing there because it was a virgin territory. So then that hampers things. How did we get on this? Talking about Ohio, talking about Georgia. If Vince McMahon Sr. had lived. Well, yes, and the point is they didn't have to do more in the WWF in the old days because that was how the fans were educated. Big 300-something-pound monsters against the fucking ethnic hero or then later on the Backlund babyface-type hero. Shorter matches, a lot more guys on the card, monthly towns so you don't have to do hot finishes. I can't think of a hot finish I ever saw in an old WWF match from the, where, I mean, there's like horrible heat going on. The heels are trying to kill the baby face and they're pitching referees out of the ring and fans are climbing over the rail. I can't think of one because they didn't need them. They had the, it was, their territory was all to themselves. What if they did an angle with a lot of heat with Pedro Morales? People would have been murdered. Well, they yeah, had all those problems not doing it. Yeah, you know, they they had, obviously, for the underneath card and the middle card, nobody really gave a shit. But at the top, the people loved Bruno so much, you couldn't really get that much heat on him. And Pedro, they had to take the belt off because all of his opponents kept getting fucking cut and stabbed because Puerto Ricans didn't fucking play around. And, you know, so the, it was not the same kind of of setup in any effect, uh, in any respect, that that they had up there that the rest of the wrestling business worked on for a variety of reasons. But so if Cable had, if any, if any one of those promotions had been on TBS to duel with the WWF on USA first without Vince Jr. doing the talent grab and signing everybody away and the big expansion and the rock and wrestling connection and all that other stuff and getting in first and the wrestling fans in the northeast just saw southern wrestling and or they'd go holy shit these guys are serious what the fuck that would have been detrimental to the wwf jim our final question here this week sent on twitter using the hashtag corny drive through from demetrios g sergios oh bullshit I couldn't tell you one way or the other, but here's his question. Have all the creative finishes to matches been done? <laughs> it's interesting because you always hear that about music. Have all the notes been written? Have all the different melodies been performed? How many new variations can there be? But when it comes to finishes... Hey, you! every time I sing, you hear a different melody that's never been performed <laughs> that's before. That's true. 
That's true. But what about creative finishes? Well, no. But see, here's the thing. That's like saying that has everything been invented yet? No. Well, then what hadn't been invented yet? Well, you can't fucking answer that question because it hadn't been invented yet. So you don't know what the fuck it is. Uh, there, finishes started off, I could do 45 minutes on this, but I won't. Finishes started out as a creative way to create a fluke scenario where somebody accidentally won or accidentally lost or something that would necessitate a rematch that was just uncommon, that wouldn't happen and that's the reason why it got people's attention and that's also the reason why well goddamn the ring lights fell on the fucking guy last week but this week we're gonna fucking tie him up real good so it won't happen again so come on out and pay to see this match again and that's that was the reason for finishes it's like the the slam bang finish in vaudeville or the you know the the final number um it it was a way to send people home not necessarily always happy, sometimes mad, sometimes happy, sometimes can't wait to see it next week, see what happens, or to, you know, see this situation rectified or whatever. And people thought of things that could legitimately happen in an athletic contest. And we've heard the tales of, you know, Buddy Rogers was, you know, artful and unerring and a genius in being able to take a bump over the top rope and somehow land with his foot in a ringside water bucket and get his foot stuck where he couldn't get back into he didn't get beat <laughs> but goddamn but he could take the bumps to the point where people go, oh shit that actually happened it was a fucking accident did you see that and they would leave and talk about it and he's going to come back next week and my god what'll happen then or you know any emotion you're trying to get out of the end of your match to want people want to make people see it again those things could happen. Then the problem was that like the dusty finish, as they called it, which was really an Eddie Graham finish, which, you know, sold out fucking every town of the territory for six months, probably when they first did it. The double referee, the first referee is thrown out and second referee comes in and counts the fucking pin for the baby face to win. But then the first referee comes in and says, no, I disqualified the guy for blah, blah, blah. Well, that's controversy. That can happen. Opposing referee calls. They don't agree. Every finish you see in wrestling had a grain of legitimacy and or truth in it to begin with. But then it was prostituted and done over and over to where the thing that couldn't happen again in a million years happens in the same town twice a year. And then people get smart to it. And then they get kind of turned off by it. And the... You know, the same thing with, with any type of creative finish where now they're not worried about, could this really happen? And wouldn't it be so cool if it did that we'd have to have a rematch or whatever? Now they're just coming up with spots. Wow, it'd be funny. Or it'd be hilarious. Or it'd be exciting. Or it'd be whatever if we did this. And what, boy, the people would shit themselves shitting themselves and buying a ticket to see it again is not necessarily the same two things, right? So finishes have now become 
a way to give people what they didn't expect more than what they didn't think could ever happen, but understand it when they see it. So now there, there's there's no reason in a lot of cases to look forward to a, a rematch between these guys when they have a finish. It's just like, wow, I, I never saw that coming. So the guy's illegitimate kid from his second marriage came in from under the ring and fucked the guy with a baseball bat. I don't know if that makes me want to buy a ticket to see the fucking rematch, but I didn't expect it. So that's kind of how things have changed there. Does that make any sense, Brian? I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think with that, the drive through is closed. Let's get a song or two, and we will get the hell out of here. Jim, this first song, sent to cornydrivethru at gmail.com from Crazy Duke. Let's go to this. Nay! Hello, <laughs> I'm Aubrey <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> a ref is a ref who's blind and deaf, but whoever heard of a horse says ref? That is, of course, unless the ref is the famous Aubrey Ed. She's got zebra stripes, but she's a horse. She'll disqualify you if she is forced. A bit of an attention whore. Hey, it's Aubrey Ed. Stomps her hoop to count and then does a dramatic spin. Bribe her with a carrot and your team will surely win. A ref is a ref who's blind and deaf, and this is the one who we're saddled with. You never heard of a refing horse? Hey, why the long face? I am Aubrey Ed. <laughs> Bribe her with a carrot. <laughs> I couldn't laugh because I didn't want to hear miss any of the fucking lyrics. That's fucking great. All right. Oh, Wilbur. Crazy Duke, a first song I think we've ever received from Crazy Duke. Congratulations. I, I don't recognize the, the name, but Crazy Duke, you're over with us. You're my horse if you never win another race by Cracky. All right, we're on a good roll here. Let's get our next song. This one was sent to cornydrivethru at gmail.com from Arlo, although not Arlo Guthrie. Let's go to this. CM Punk just spoke the truth and people lost their minds. They loved it when he called out Vince, but not that hangnail guy. Or the Cucamonga Circus Act and the games they try to play. The Marks all had a heart attack when he trashed Olivier. <laughs> Philly tried on their big boy pants, walking to Punk's locker room. To stomp and yell and cause a scene They all found out real soon Not to mess around with punk Or else you'll end up hit Ace might throw a chair at you You'll probably get bit <laughs> Go back to Reseda You're all just jealous fucks Professionals that do real work Show how much you suck Go cry away to Meltzer Ask for your star ratings so you can pat yourselves right on the back. Wrestling's more than flips and moves. It's about telling stories. You wouldn't pass a third grade writing class. Oh, and that's the oh. end. <laughs> well, there it is from Arlo, a punk rock take on the CM Punk 
Cucamonga kid scandal. Arlo, you got it. You got to work on your your fucking outlaw. Big finish, but otherwise it was abrupt on the finish. But otherwise, excellent uh, lyricism. That's right. Once again, thank you, Arlo. And I want to remind everyone you can send your songs into corny drive through at gmail.com to get played here on the air. And with that, we've gone long again. Let me grab this. The drive through is closed. Beat you to it. All right. Well, it actually ended on a nice note there. <laughs> of course, we'll be back this weekend on the Jim Cornette Experience, wherever you find your favorite podcast. And next week, Right back here on the drive-thru, once again, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Go through the archives today, patreon.com slash cornet. For $5 a month, you get access to the show going back to the beginning in 2013. The drive-thru and the experience, patreon.com slash cornet. Subscribe to the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. It'll come right up. Full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections all with the very popular, exclusive Travis Heckle artwork, as well as the amazing artwork by all the guest artists. Check it out today, the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. You can follow Jim on Twitter at TheJimCornette. You can follow me on Twitter at GreatBrianLast. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to The Wrestling News wherever you find your favorite podcast, or go to TheWrestlingNews.com for a free daily morning wrestling newscast, The Wrestling News. Jim, what's going on over at Coronet's Collectibles? I should make mention, I forgot, I told you how many we got left and to get in uh, where you can, but for the people who have already purchased, the Feather Bottoms are mobilizing. We've got Saturday, Sunday, and Monday's sales uh, about to get together, and tomorrow, I start signing figures, which means at the first of next week, they start flying out to the fine consumers at jimcornette.com. So they'll be in the mail starting first of the week, and we will continue this process for, if history is any indication, the next six or eight weeks. At jimcornette.com. And of course, the drive through is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Find out why everyone from large corporations to bullshit indie wrestlers on national TV are finding out you don't fuck with Stephen P. New. The Law Office of Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen today. And if anybody wants to file a lawsuit against Mother Nature for making them look like a punctured truck stop novelty <laughs> condom... <laughs> Call Stephen P. New. What? All right. I, I don't know how I'm going to top that. Well, that's it. The drive-thru is closed. We'll be back at it this weekend on The Experience. But for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Well, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive-thru. Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fucking Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the young bucks, the rednecks and dumb fucks, and them door corner bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella, and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Corny's drive through, Corny's drive through, Corny's drive through. Well, it's all elite wrestling. 
Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. To the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you. Steven, Kidio, everybody. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. Tony's drive-thru. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.